and welcome back to part two of episode 10 of Realm and Ruin. Um, as we said, we were splitting this episode up into two parts. So this is part two, uh, where we're going to carry on with our <laughs> coverage of Soul Wars <laughs> and the core book, and there's still plenty to go through. So yep. um, as we said, we're going to go through uh, the first bit, which will be the various realms and talk about what's involved with them. And then the second part will be all the different factions of the mm. Age of Sigma. And then that'll be it. So let's kick off with the mortal realms and see mm. what they're all about. So just a, a smidgen of an overview. Um, so basically, obviously there's the eight different realms. Um, they're all saturated in magic, particularly at the edges, um, and they're all di- they're all completely different to each other. They're all based on the eight different forms of magic as well. Um, mm. They're sort of spherical shaped, um, and ultimately linked by various different realm gates. It's a way of travel, so to speak. Um, some were there even before Sigma arrived, and then s- others have been created since, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera depending on which one you're talking about. Um, and mm. ultimately, in between the realms, you've got uh, what's called the etheric void, um, which is sort of... Uh, it's still magical, but not mm. as strong from from a magical sense. And that sort of inadvertently forms the sky of mm. the sort of in-between the realms. Um, and like I said, all the realms are different. Um, they're not infinite, but they might as well be. You know, they're just so huge that, yeah. <laughs> you know, no one's yeah. no one normal's travelling that way. Um and I said, and a lot of them, a lot of them have uh, barriers at their various edges, not necessarily deliberately put there, but just obviously because the magic um, is sort of of a stronger concentrate as you go further out. So, for example, uh, the realm of life, there's you know the jungles are so vast and and etc. At the edges that you know, you're not going anywhere, <laughs> basically. You know, they got laws to their laws to their own, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, so that's sort of you know basically how the realms are sort of are in existence. So um, so we'll start with the first one, which yeah. is Akshi. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I find my notes, <laughs> uh, right? So Akshi is the uh, the realm of fire, or mm-hmm. otherwise known as the bright realm. It's a you know it's a uh, as per its name, it's a very harsh, fiery. Uh, passionate aggressive realm um it's heavily dominated by a, a corn presence but but not it's not fully corn he's mm. it's just the it's like i said it's just a makes up a good chunk of it um and as you would imagine that's sort of try, like we've alluded to before is that obviously each realm influences how its people and tribes mm. and etc all interact and etc deal with each other so um so actually is basically a large amount of land masses um, and continents with its sort of with their own different cultures um, a different outlook different history um, and basically it hangs suspended in the Ashkian realm sphere um, and basically that's caused sort of continents to be sort of gradually pulled apart mm. into sort of islands and isles um, that used to share the same water but um, but like I said they just they just gradually been pulled apart which has basically caused um, where different realm gates are needed to get to different parts mm. um, so it's made it <laughs> made travel a bit trickier <laughs> in certain <laughs> parts um, 
again, just what I was saying about the ver- the sort of the locals and the tribes. Basically, the tribes have this sort of live fast, die hard, you know, go hard <laughs> or go home <laughs> mentality. Basically, it's all about hit hit it hard, hit it fast, hit it aggressive. That's sort of the way life is sort of is over there. Um, you know, they they've sort of got this con, you know, this all these com- coming of age trials which involve things like Clive um clive who's clive cliff diving um running across sulfur things like that you know the, you'd mm. see in other sort of forms um you know it's basically you're either killed by it or you survive and you're tougher for it basically that's what they want they want you know everyone to be mm. tougher yeah um you've got situations where the the older tribe all the older people of the tribes are looked on quite harshly by the younger ones um but the sort of mature ones uh, sort of see the older ones as, with more respect because mm. ultimately they've gone through a lot of hardship <laughs> to get to be <laughs> where they are as of today basically yeah, yeah. um you know it's it's not a nice realm ultimately it's it's, it's very harsh on the i think the, on literally mind body and soul mm. Mm. so you know you see so their leaders have you know proved their worth they're, they're showing the scars to you know to prove that they've done that you don't want to muck around with them um and it's it's quite a funny round because chaos has sort of not been able to break the spirits of them. Even mm-hmm. though, like I said, it's got a heavy corn presence. The sort of the ones that are, the tribes and locals that aren't part of that have really sort of dug in, going, "Nope, you're not going to control us." Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, with the the help of the Stormcast Eternals that are appearing now, it's providing them with a little bit of hope as well. So it's a harsh but uh, mm-hmm. survivable <laughs> reality <laughs> in uh, in Akshi. So, yeah, hmm. that's that one. Yeah. Um, do you want to go on to the next one? Um, well, first off, uh, a big change with oh, Sigma's second edition is, yeah. Yes. Uh, there are rules for each realm. Um, so there is a certain spell known by everyone participating in each realm. Um, there are usually realm commands, so command abilities that you can use if you're in a realm. And there are realmscape features. Um, so these are in the back of your handy rulebook, starting on page 254. Um, so... <laughs> Everyone in Akshi, the Realm of Fire, who can cast magic, knows the spell Fireball. Yay. Um, Yay. It's actually a, a pretty decent spell. Uh, it's a casting value of five. Uh, you pick an enemy unit within 18 inches that you can see. If it's one model, it takes one model wound. If it's two to nine models, it takes D3 model wounds. And if it's ten or more models, it takes D6 model wounds. Nice and simple. Nice. Yep. Uh, and then your Realm Command ability is Firestarter. Uh, which you can use at the start of your movement phase. If you do it, uh, you can pick a terrain feature within 12 inches of a friendly hero and within 3 inches of another friendly unit and roll the dice. On a 4+, plus, you set the terrain on fire, <laughs> which is pretty good. <laughs> uh, if it's set on fire for the rest of the battle, any unit with models in or on it at the end of their movement phase take D3 model wounds, and in addition, you cannot see another model if a straight line drawn from the center of its base to the center of the other model's base passes across the terrain. Basically, yeah, it's all the smoke. And it's fire. on fire. There's yeah. all the smoke. Yeah, yeah. Um, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think my uh, my favorite realmscape feature. There's a little d6 table that you roll on to determine what affects the battlefield. Is probably flaming missiles. So improve the rend characteristic of missile weapons by one, while the range from the attacking unit to the target unit is more than twelve inches. So nice. the fur- yeah, yeah, the further you shoot, the more your arrows catch on fire, which is pretty cool. Makes sense. I like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Happy days. Mm. Um, yeah, there's five others, but they're, they're all cool. But that's my personal favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. 
Uh, we'll move on to the next realm, Gairan, the realm of life. So, this is Alariel's realm, of course. It's uh, the realm of, as I said just then, life. Um, it burgeons with all forms of life, from the most massive Gighemoth, which, <laughs> don't know what that is, <laughs> to the tiniest <laughs> parasitic spore. Uh, it's generally known as the Jade Kingdoms. Um, the people sort of very wildly in form and temperament, and they've suffered a lot under Nurgle's invasions. Um, they used to be this glorious, wonderful place, um, this sort of beautiful natural world with a seamless blend of civilization and the forest. Uh, there were these cultivated gardens and dappled lawns uh, in the center, and kingdoms near the edge were overgrown with lush jungle. Uh, the air sort of throbbed and pulsed with just life energy. There are a ton of seasons in the realm. They have spring, summer, autumn, and winter, of course, but they also have the burgeoning, the reaping, the reaping, secret remorse, the great lack, and up to a dozen more different seasons that the entire realm cycles through continually. Uh, this sort of endless carousel of life, of course, drew the attention of Nurgle. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, he introduced blight and disease and vile fecundity to this place of harmony and rebirth. You know, uh, things broke, he broke down all these beautiful life forms. He transformed majestic living cities into repulsive demon infested slop. Um, you know, the, the efforts of the Hammers of Sigma, as we said in, uh, part one, have sort of helped push back. The forces of Nurgle, but there's, uh, there's still a lot going on in here. Uh, the Everspring Swathe is the section that we get a map of in our core book, and um, a good half or more of it appears to be taken over by Nurgle. You've got, like, the Slumping Groves, the Glot Marsh, the Lake Reflux, Shrug Slough, <laughs> all kinds of <laughs> Nurgly stuff <laughs> all over the place. Uh, now, Gairan's Realm of Battle Rolls, let's see... These these aren't in the same order in the back of the book for some reason. It's very bothersome. No, I know. It's <laughs> Odd choice. Yeah. Uh, everyone knows the spell Shield of Thorns, which has a casting value of five. If you cast it, pick a friendly unit within 18 inches that you can see. Until your next hero phase, any enemy unit that finishes a charge within three inches of that unit takes D3 mortal wounds. Nice and simple. Again, it's just... Nice. Don't charge me. Um, there... <laughs> I mean, it is. Uh, their, their realm command is command the land, hey. <laughs> um, which you use at your end of the hero phase, end of your hero phase, and if you use it, a friendly hero can attempt to cast the Shield of Thorn spell that we just described, even if they are not a wizard, and even if the spell has already been cast, so you can lay down a ton of Shields of Thorns, which is pretty cool. <laughs> sort of yeah. really defensive spell, which is quite cool. Mm-hmm. Hmm, what's my favorite one? I think my favorite <laughs> one is Spontaneous Growth. At the start of your hero phase, you roll a dice. On a 6-up, you can set up a Sylvaneth Wildwood anywhere on the battlefield, more than one inch from other models or terrain features. So cool. a forest just starts growing <laughs> all on its own, <laughs> yeah. which is really cool. <laughs> uh, there's other things. that I lo A lot of these Realmscape features are like healing or for harming against Nurgle units specifically. There's lots of really interesting yeah. stuff there. I like the one as well that's uh, is it number five, the, the, the quagmire. quagmire. Yeah. Models cannot run unless they're able to fly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yep. Yep. Sounds about right. <laughs> nice. Cool. Right, uh, what's next? Uh, Shaish is Shaish. next. The Realm of Death. 
Uh, right, so Shahish is all about uh, endings and decline, as we've alluded to before. That's Nagash's realm. Uh, it's basically a combination of underworlds on the same plane, uh, which is basically crystallized uh, due to the pure death magic, uh, yeah. which, like I said before, is very, very heavy. Um, it's a funny one because Nagash and Chaos have both tried to break them, uh, both, mm. you know, the, the underworld but to, to feed on the amethy- amethyst energy, but not really able to pull it off particularly. Mm. Um, it's uh, basically a flat disc of a, of a realm with like a sort of a, it's sort of a whirlpool-like center, mm. uh, sort of basically mm. pulling everything in towards it, as we know <laughs> from what uh, we were dis- discussing the uh, Necroquake, etc. Um, mm. in part one. Now, uh, however, obviously some people, some others see it slightly different. It depends on, on who you're talking to. Like mm. some see it as a layer upon layer, like an inverted pyramid. Uh, mm. Like the ogre, the ogres uh, see it as a huge mouth. Uh, mm. The spider fang grots see it like a big spider in a, in, in its web. <laughs> uh, but basically, the, the bottom line is ultimately no one can truly understand <laughs> what Shahish mm. is. Um, I mean, around the edges, uh, you get sh- shapes that crystallize in the amethyst clouds that appear there um, due to the realm sphere, uh, basically coming real to it, to, it, to those who believe in it, you know, mm. but due to the souls, etc. Yeah. Um, basically, Nagash, as we alluded to before, has, has changed the place ultimately, but he still has these certain processes. Some things have remained unchanged, mm. especially, like I said, at the edges. Um, it's, it's underworld basically... It knows its place and purpose mm. as well. Um, the sort of the, you know, ultimately the realm is slowly getting sucked into the Nadir, you know, the, um, mm. the point mm. of where the great, the Black Pyramid is that we were talking about. Uh, ultimately, <laughs> as time goes on, the whole place theoretically would be ground into death magic <laughs> as, it, as mm. it slowly gets further <laughs> to that point. So it's, uh, yeah, it's on the, I, I'll be interested now to see if something changes with this. Because mm. I, I suppose it, I know we're talking about space and time, and time yeah. is relative, and all that. But it'd be interesting to see if there's sort of not a reverse of what he's done, but I'm wondering if it things will change with that, like something will disrupt <laughs> the flow. Oh, well, I'm sure Nagash right. will probably do it himself. Like the pipe fills like. up too much, and just out of the sink, just all the stuff comes bursting out again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It just I can imagine them having something to play with mm. <laughs> in that oh, regard. Yeah. But yeah. we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, right, so if we look at the their, the rules for Shaiish, mm. um, so the realm sphere magic is Pole of Doom, um, which is as casting value of six. If successfully cast, pick an enemy unit within eighteen inches of the caster that is visible visible to them. Subtract two from the bravery Ooh. characteristic of the unit you picked until your next hero phase. Ooh, that could be quite damaging. I know if, what uh, realm played, I right? want to fight in with my Nighthorn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Was that really I stacked cool. you up to like a negative four bravery, and then I sent in the banshees? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is really cool. Mm. Uh, the realm command is honor the dead. Um, let's have a look. Actually, there's a couple of them, isn't there? Yeah, so there's two it. of them. So the first one, um, first one is honor the dead. Uh, you can use this command ability at the start of your of any combat phase. If you do so, pick a friendly unit that is within three inches of a friendly hero or twelve inches of your general and roll a dice. Mm. If the dice roll is less than the number of models that have been slain from the unit you picked, you can add one to the attacked characteristic of the weapons used by that unit in that combat phase. Mm. That's quite cool. Yeah. Um, 
I can imagine that'd be quite cool in something like uh, with the daughters of Cain, for mm, example, like witch elves mm. and stuff, like properly stacking up their attacks. Yeah, once they start um, taking casualties. Bizarre, they which they in- inadvertently do anyway. So. <laughs> um, and the other realm command is Soul Force Sacrifice. You can use this command ability at the start of your hero phase. If you do so, pick a friendly unit that is within three inches of your general. Allocate any number of wounds to that unit that you wish. You can heal one wound uh, that has been allocated to your general for each wound that you allocate. <laughs> wow, <What>? that's good. <laughs> you know who that's really good for? That's good for Nagash. Nah, I was thinking that. <laughs> Just him with that, stack him next to a block of 20 skeletons. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And the Realmscape features, uh, which one do we like? Um, I'm, I'm a they're fan all about, of... They're uh, all about mortal wound. They're all yeah, about mortal wounds, sort of. really, on there. There's nothing... I'm a fan of uh, Eternal War, which is the, um, the people know that if they die bravely, they'll be reborn tomorrow at at dawn so everyone <laughs> yeah. gets plus one bravery <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool actually mm. yeah cool. yeah nice excellent after shayish comes dun, 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 turn a few pages shaman or chamon the realm of metal so this is a realm of transmutations now chemical one- wonders it's a place where impermanence and change are the only certainty i wonder why zinch is interested in it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's got riches beyond imagining, beyond imaginings, and promises immeasurable power to those who harness its resources. Uh, there's a region called the Spiral Crux uh, that is depicted in the map, and it's basically a vortex of <laughs> continents. Uh, it looks like it's pretty cool. It's this sort of ever shifting uh, entire realm, but certain mm-hmm. sub realms, certain continents, sort of stay relatively stable. Uh, which gives shape to the lands of gold. It's not a set of plates, islands, or continents, but it's a dizzying variety of domains that just hang in the firmament, kind of chained together by magic and portals. Um, in Azir, it's depicted as a le- as the laboratory of a godly alchemist. Um, the treasures of the realm are sort of coveted by basically everyone, because it's a realm of metal, invention, and magic, of course. Everyone wants what comes out of there. Um, but only those that can embrace change really thrive there. Every tribe, culture, and civilizations learn to adapt and evolve because, you know, one day the ground might literally melt out from under your feet. <laughs> what are you going to do then? Um, <laughs> although most of it is metallic in nature, it does have forests and um, seas and lakes and such things, um, especially near the core where the realm is more stable. Here and there, there are trees with glinting iron-hard bark. The earth may be made out of metal itself, or there are exotic oxides in the rocks. But by and large, it's a habitable place. It's not, like, crazy poisonous or anything. However, once you get out to the edge of Shamon, the lands are changing constantly to the point of sending people mad just through, like, not knowing what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Which is pretty cool. Um, This is where, like, all the Caradron overlords and stuff live. Because, you know, need lots of metal. Uh, So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's helpful. Uh, The Realm Sphere magic is Transmutation of Lead. It's got a casting value of 7. If you cast it, pick an enemy unit within 18 inches that you can see. Until your next hero phase, halve their movement value, rounding up. So, you turn that armor to lead. Plus, if they have a save of 2+, plus, 3+, plus, or 4+, plus, until your next hero phase, you can reroll hit rolls of 1 that attack that unit. Because, oh. again, you turn their yeah. armor to lead, so they're easier to hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes sense. Mm. Uh, their realm command is adapt or die. 
You can use this at the start of your hero phase. Uh, pick a friendly unit within 3 inches of a hero or 12 inches of a general. Until your next hero phase, roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or model wound to a model in the unit. On a 6+, plus, they ignore the wound. It's pretty good. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really pretty good. Um, now, out of all the realmscape things, I like. I think I like Irresistible Force the best. So, because Zinch loves Chamon, um, he makes magic stronger there innately. Uh, if a casting roll is a double, after rerolls but before modifiers, it is successful, even if the roll is too low to actually cast the spell. And the spell cannot, <laughs> yeah, and the spell cannot be unbound. But, after the effects of the spell have been resolved, every unit within three inches of the caster suffers one model wound. <laughs> yeah. You, you can basically get an ultra powerful spell off really easily, but it's gonna hurt everyone <laughs> around you, including that yourself. That is really cool. Yeah, I quite I I quite liked um, Steel Rain, which is mm. at the start of your hero phase. Hero phase, roll the dice on a six plus. Pick an enemy unit that is not in cover. Roll the dice for each model in that unit. Inflict one mortal wound for each roll that is less than the unit's save characteristic. Ooh. I just yeah. that's really <laughs> nasty. Actually, if that goes yeah. off, is that, oh is that, <laughs> that was really cool. Just knives falling oh. out of the sky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think that's one of the more interesting ones actually mm. Shaman's one cool All right. what's next uh, right next is Ulgu the realm of shadow oh, or yeah. otherwise known as the grey realm mm. <laughs> yay <laughs> that sounds, in, <laughs> sounds enthralling doesn't it mm. the grey realm uh, it consists of 13 regions, uh, each shrouded more than the last the further out you go mm-hmm. um, as per its name it's uh, full of secrets um its name and it's quite interesting that its name cannot be pronounced in the daylight and only as a whisper <laughs> oh cool mm. <laughs> actually it's not well it's not daylight here i've got my i've got my well, yeah. blinds shut <laughs> exactly so we're allowed to say it. <laughs> we're allowed to do it <laughs> no, we, we've got to we've um, got to we've got to lean in close oh cool oh nice i feel better for that yeah Um, so it's got a twin orbit with uh high realm sphere uh so basically there's no there's no no day or night it's just sort of this either combination of gloom or pitch black depending on which region you're part of so Mm. it's quite an Mm. oppressive place (laughs) in that regard um like i said earlier it's full of secrets and illusions even Mm. the locals there don't really trust anything you know there's even the ones that have been there sort of you know since birth you just don't trust anything you see or hear mm. um you know it's the sort of place where an army could invade and get lost and never return yeah. <laughs> it's just that sort of place very oppressive um basically all all the sort of regions and countries of it are surrounded as in in an illusion but um but they're not always it's basically the 13 regions were sort of at one point were a sort of philosophical dream place you know it Mm. was actually quite a nice place (laughs) once upon a time uh and as always chaos changed that (laughs) (laughs) so uh ulgu was uh you know basically contained and managed to deal with the the chaos threat Mm. uh when it when it arrived but obviously it has left scars and has sort of you know changed (laughs) it from like this dreamy lovely place to this Mm. gloomy uh, oppressive place um all the 13 regions all have various different rulers you know and it's all about games and manipulation and you know and things like that as you would expect yeah, yeah. um the sort of the nearest sort of supreme leader they've got is malarian um mm. 
but even then he has only so much hold over him. Um, actually, talking to Malarian, um, he was born, <laughs> born if you want to call it, in quote marks, he was born into the world of Olgu after the end of the world that was. Mm. Um, even though he's, you know, technically part of Order, or was it when he first involved, mm. he, he's still part of darkness and lies and things like that that still mm. is that still is game um so at first when he was born into the realm he had no no physical form uh he mm. it was only through memory starting to come back that um he he, he that's what started to empower him slightly because basically mm. he had no control over his sort of f- form you know whatever you mm. want to call it it was just a shade not a body um and i think basically what what sort of happened because he was fearful of basically fading into nothing and being of Mm. no real significance that brought his rage back and brought that was his god powers Mm. (laughs) so basically he got he got a bit angry and his (laughs) his form and power started to come back Mm. Mm. um so at that point when he was starting to get his power back he you know he explored the realm uh Mm. he found creatures that you know, but it didn't really take to them particularly because obviously he's searching for elf kind. Uh, he came, and then that's when he cr- came across his mother, Marathi. He came across her in a basically. She, he came across a group of shadow demons, and she mm. was sort of in the middle of it, and in a sort of as it describes a form between that kept fluctuating between maiden and monster. Mm. Um, that's our, that's our next um, album title, <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you know they've got a long history together there's no real trust there but realistically they did find a, a togetherness in this sort of new land they sort of realized right we need to team up because we're sort of on a bit of a limb here mm-hmm. um and then that's when as per history they joined under sigma and his pantheon and that's when Olgu sort of carried on and thrived mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um obviously the realm as a whole is Oh, it got the attention of Zinch as, mm-hmm. as you, when you were talking about uh, Shaman. Uh, got involved, obviously, because it's a realm of secrecy and illusions mm-hmm. and things like that. So Zinch loves this sort of place because um, basically he wanted to expose its weakness. So in the Age of Chaos, um, Korn tried to get to Olgu before Zinch, um, <laughs> basically using a combination of, of cultists and realm gates to you know to get through it. Mm. Um, Corn wanted to sort of take on Olgu because because obviously Corn's motive is open battle, mm. challenging and stuff like that. He doesn't he doesn't like secrets and you know yeah, hiding yeah. in the shadows. So Olgu is very anti a very anti Corn mm. type mm. realm. So um which is quite funny because then basically when Corn put his all his forces in, the fog swallowed them up and killed them. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. were just they were just carrying left, <laughs> which is really cool. Um, so basically, going back to Zinch, Zinch used sort of politics and things like that to bring chaos to the realm. Mm-hmm. Um, you've uh, the Skaven started using Clan Eshin to send over assassins to there because again, that's mm. a perfect place for them as well. Yeah, um, yeah. and obviously Malarian and Marathi sort of basically dug in. And fall mm. back because obviously that everyone everyone's wanting a piece of their realm and like nope this is our realm get lost <laughs> uh, and, you know basically not allowing any takeover um, mm. and as we've alluded to before that basically the first elves out of Sanesh were drew to um, Olgu um, where they were sort of not humanoid they were sort of mm. you know, wing bat wings and horns and things like that yeah, um, yeah. they've been but but had been cleansed by Haish's light, um, and obviously, as we know, secretly Marathi was taking some of these souls as well mm. for her own gains. So yeah, so that's <laughs> that's Olgu, and let's find the rules. 
Right. Okay. So the realm sphere magic for this is mystifying miasma. Um, has a casting value of four. It successfully casts. Select an enemy unit within 18 inches of the caster that's visible. Uh, that unit cannot run until your next hero phase. In addition, subtract two from charge rolls for that unit until your next hero phase. Okay. Uh, that, can be, that can be handy in certain circumstances. Um, realm command is Lord of the Shadow Realm. Uh, you can use this command ability at the start of your hero phase. If you do so, you can use either the Shadow Mansions or Shadow Realm realm Realmscape feature on the right, uh, which is that uh, table. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition, after transferring or setting up the unit in its new location, you do not have to roll to see if any models from the unit have become lost in the Shadow Realms. Note that if the Shadowed Mansions or Shadow Realm Realmscape features apply in your battle, you can use them normally as well as using them with this command ability mm. so just to mention those so basically shadowed mansions is start of, the, of your hero phase pick one friendly unit that is part of a garrison you can immediately transfer that unit to a different train feature that can have a garrison the unit cannot be transferred to a train feature that is garrisoned by an enemy or if doing so result in the number of models that the garrison can take being exceeded then roll a dice for each model you transfer on a one uh, they get lost and slain <laughs> uh, and shadow realm is at the start of your Hero phase, pick one friendly unit that is, uh, has all its models within six inches of a, any edge of the battlefield. You can remove that unit from the battlefield and set them up more than um, nine inches from any enemy units and with all units within six inches of a different edge of the battlefield and then roll the dice. And obviously on a one, they get lost mm. and slain. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that could be quite handy tactics. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of impenetrable gloom personally, which is just the maximum range of attacks or spells is six inches. Yeah, I saw that. Wow. (laughs) But that plays really into the realm's theme, though. It's really cool. Mm, Yeah, yeah, exactly. And from the realm of Ugu, Ugu, ah, ah, already can't say it, the realm of shadows. (laughs) Well, you know, we can can only say it in a whisper, non-broad daylight. In a whisper. Ugu. Exactly. (laughs) God, I can't get over that little tidbit. That's so great. Uh, But we come to... It's so random, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we come to Heish, the realm of light, quite the opposite. It is this bizarre plane of light. Like, the art for it is actually really quite nice. It's these weird cuboid structures just floating around. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really cool. Um, and, yeah, the realm is really peculiar, and really no one seems to understand it except perhaps Teclas, uh, because it is this... <laughs> It's just this multifaceted, ordered place. It's like a, a fine-cut gem or a piece of origami. The lands sort of intersect, um, like these shafts of light and flip as you think about them. So, like, the landscape literally seems to change with how you think about how it should work, uh, which is mm-hmm. really weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like all the realms. Like they're all, all the a bit realms. bizarre, they're, aren't they're they? They're all a bit weird. But this is the most, like, mm-hmm. mind-bending, I suppose. Um, yeah, true. Yep. And, and, you know, for a long time, it was sort of the most free of chaos taint of all the realms, but, you know, nothing lasts forever. <laughs> yep. Especially in, yeah. Especially in the Age of Sigmon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everything oh, changes yeah. on a flip of a coin. Mm. Oh, man. But, you know, that's good. It's more It's more lore. It's more story for us to explore. Exactly. Mm, mm. Breathe it in, son. Mm, mm. Um, mm-hmm, that lore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, so Heish is this sort of plane, this realm of symbolism and arithmetic lore. And, um, 
as all, as with all the other realms, it affects the people there, but in this case, it sort of elevates them to higher levels of thought, higher planes of being, almost. Even mm-hmm. even the tribes that sort of live deep in caves and caverns have these long meditative periods, and they sort of, all their tunnels are covered in these intricate images and diagrams, because, sure, they're just our local barbarian tribe, but they figured out... <laughs> this concept of physics or something <laughs> somehow <laughs> somehow <laughs> yeah just just because everyone's smarter there because it's this realm of illumination and knowledge um and and since Tyrion and Technolus sort of took up residence in Heish elves from all over the realms have flocked uh particularly to an area known as the 10 paradises of Heish uh, there are also a lot of human factions as well, uh, particularly in desert areas. There are all these tall pillars, or were, I should say, all these tall pillars dotted across the deserts. Uh, each had <laughs> this sort of this guru, this seer, seeking enlightenment on top on top of the pillar through denial uh, in sort of, you know. <laughs> That's what I can imagine happening. <clears throat> yeah, it's sort of your traditional um, Eastern mysticism uh, kind of feeling effectively but an entire realm which is pretty impressive but most of those places have been destroyed by chaos because you know chaos is at it again oh chaos stop destroying things they just can't everyone a break they can't help it they see something nice they've got to just kind of push the push the sandcastle over as it were um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like they're saying to themselves we, we gave you the age of myth mm. that was fine you had that you know now now, now we're okay. here for good yeah uh they're, they're not exactly. ac- they're not accepting that it's the age of sigma now uh, <laughs> 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 yeah um yeah so so magical energy in heish doesn't actually naturally form realm stone like it does in all the other realms it just kind of beams around as uh well light of all things uh, but various mages and seers have actually managed to work out how to harness this light into a translucent crystal that they call aether quartz, uh, in particular into aether quartz prisms uh, that can be used to either store energy or to sort of refract magic. And it became sort of the currency of Heish. Uh, people who wear it, uh, you know, as jewelry, find that they sort of bring the light into their cells. Um, so that as the gem of aether quartz grows dark, they actually get smarter and they become faster physically as well. As mm. you know, the light of high sort of helps speed them around. Which is, I, I mean, I could do with a bracelet that helped me run a bit faster. But <laughs> <laughs> well, like our our has got a bracelet. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Set <laughs> phase a bit more powerful than that. Mm, yeah, but you know, so so for for the longest time, Heist was just this place of enlightenment and learning. Like to the point, th- there was there was a level of competition for a lot of people. Like you know, I'm the best mage. No, I'm the best mage. Well, look, I made this prism. Well, I made this slightly bigger prism. But some, <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's how it's how people are, you know. Um, but some sort of managed to move beyond these concerns and actually transcended mortality entirely, became these sort of numinous beings removed from earthly concerns, which uh, I know, I know I've mentioned a lot on the show so far, but I want to see the kind of people that live in Heish. Um, (laughs) it's really interesting. The more you say it, the more it's going to (laughs) happen. I mean, if you say it enough, you believe it. it, It's got to happen eventually, you know, like, um, all, all the other realms have a little, 
uh, a little sketch of a local inhabitant, but there's nothing for Heish because they don't want us to know mm, yet. That's true. Yeah. You know? Um, <laughs> however, a lot of people also found their personal weaknesses brought out by all this power they could accumulate in Heish, particularly pride and the pursuit of perfection. But, you know, this competition to become the purest or most intelligent grows fiercer and fiercer. People soon reveal the darkness in their hearts. You know, there's a friendly rivalry between two scholars that watches them raise the pillars on top of which they meditate higher and higher and higher. <laughs> or, you know, they try and make their robes whiter and more glowy, more luminous. <laughs> <laughs> to get to that zen-like status. Mm, yeah. And, you know, they become more and more self-centered, more and more arrogant. They use aether quartz more and more and more to sort of help ascend their minds, help make these great mental leaps. And it really becomes an addiction. Uh, you can see where this is going, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> it, it gets to the point that um, suddenly it's not the actual, you know, achievements of knowledge you're creating, but the appearance of the achievement of knowledge and image has become everything, you know. People sabotage each other's experiments and projects, and eventually the worship of Slanesh kind of slowly but surely, because there's all these people who are prideful and doing an excess of various things sort of slowly seeps into the realm. Uh, from the age, uh, from the age of chaos, of course, there was just straight up invasions. Um, (laughs) (laughs) standard, you know, your standard. Well, the chaos cultists all rose up and really, we should have seen this coming, but you know, we never do. We never do. We never learn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, people, people. I think there's a chaos uprising in every realm. At some oh point, yeah, and they they never see it coming. It, it's literally it's in 40k as well. Yeah, it's literally everywhere except Azir, and even that's not 100. <laughs> <laughs> percent No, true, true. Yeah. Um. So yeah, in the age of Sigmar, it's not quite this land of logic and order anymore. It's more of a land, a wilderness almost of broken dreams and shattered statues. So things that haven't been cast down or corrupted by chaos have just been broken by open war. And there are all these rumors that Tyrion is mustering forces for a reconquest, but salvation has not yet come. Uh, which, again, <laughs> show me these really cool, light, angelic, mathematic, mathematical elves. I want to see what it is. I'm so interested. <laughs> Armed with swords and calculators. I mean, look, <laughs> there's all these stormcasts now with, like, little sextants and various imaging gear. That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anything's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but Heish is a pretty cool place, uh, and it's got some good rules, as all the other realms do. Uh, so your mm-hmm. realm sphere magic is Fars Protection. So it's casting value of 5. You can pick a friendly unit within 18 inches uh, that you can see, and you subtract 1 from hit rolls made for attacks that target them until your next hero phase. So you make people shine so bright that it's hard to look at them properly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Um... And your realm command is strike quickly. Uh, so at the start of the combat phase, you pick a friendly unit within three inches of a hero or 12 inches of your general and within three inches of the enemy. And that unit can fight immediately instead of having to wait their turn uh, because nice. they're getting sped up effectively. Um, and th- there are a lot of actually really cool and interesting uh, realmscape features. Uh, there, there are two that I particularly like, so I think I'll go over both of them. Um yeah, go for it. The first is speed of light. 
Uh, so at the start of your movement phase, you roll a dice. On a 6+, plus, you can pick up one of your units, remove it from the battlefield, and then set it up anywhere on the table that's more than 9 inches from enemy models, and that counts as their move. So they're so fast, they're teleporting, basically, <laughs> which is pretty cool. <laughs> Um, and then there's Realmscape feature number six, which is etheric beams of light, where in your hero phase, one of your wizards can attempt to craft an ether quartz prism instead of attempting to cast any spells. If they do make this prism, uh, they get to cast one extra spell in each future hero phase and get to unbind one extra spell in each future enemy hero phase. A wizard can only have one, but if you have multiple wizards, they can each do it on a different turn. So you can actually get a ton of spells out potentially. That is really good. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I tell you what, I tell you what made me laugh. Actually, is number five, mm. uh, the name, which is "Wilderness of Broken Dreams." <laughs> I was thinking that's our progressive rock yeah. album. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of good music album and band titles in this. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where they got a lot of their inspiration from. <laughs> mm. Oh, definitely. Wilderness of Broken Dreams, and that is just subtract one from bravery for order units because it was mm. so nice here, but it's not nice anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Excellent. Mm. Excellent. Right. Should we move on to the next one? Mm-hmm. We're going to move on to Gur. Lovely named <laughs> realm. So, this is the uh, realm of beasts. So, you know, just picture this. Picture a prehistoric caveman-esque type mm. realm. Yeah. Um yeah. as you would expect. You know, so it's a realm of primal violence. You know, it's a, you know, a, as the name suggests, a realm of beasts where they're hunted and do the hunting as well. Mm, mm. Uh, you've got very jagged continents from a sort of geographical point of view. It's, as you would imagine, you've got, you know, caves everywhere, mm-hmm. um, huge, like I said, jagged mountains and things like that. It's got, you know, it's, it's, it's portraying that very primal vibe, <laughs> if you had to sum it up. Um, you know, you've got open plains everywhere, mm-hmm. huge valleys, uh, you've got winged beasts roaming the land, uh, chasms, raging waters, hunting beasts, huge herds, uh, you know, and it's it quite... Adaptly, it aptly says that you could sleep in a cave and mm. because of the volatile nature of the land the land could have moved when you wake up the next morning <laughs> so you go to bed and there's oh, like a couple wow. of trees outside and then you wake up the next morning and there's like a mountain <laughs> that just appeared overnight it's brilliant oh that's pretty cool. what a great what a great realm um and I mean, basically, the land moves to protect itself. Mm. So, as well as because again, there's so much volatile, primal beasts around, and obviously invasions and all the other things mm. and chaos. Because, like we said, chaos is involved in everything. Um, like I said, the land protects itself at, at all costs. That's quite a you know primary mm. thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and that that extends to things like the towns. The towns use bones and the skeleton skeletons mm. of huge beasts because obviously things die quite a lot there <laughs> so like oh there we go there's a there's the uh the skeleton of a big god beast yep, yep. there's our new city thank you very much um and then obviously when you get to like the larger settlements they're surrounded by sort of huge stakes mm. um as in <laughs> not as in the meat variety no, no. Um, but <laughs> so, well maybe they were but <laughs> um i wouldn't put it past it but yeah so basically you've got so they you know the, instead of walls mm. or the walls are not the primary parts of the defense because mm. obviously we go to other places where there's fortresses and things like that the walls in this 
realm don't really mean much because the problem is they don't protect against these huge beasts because they're so powerful they're so big they'll just knock your walls down it doesn't you know mm. it's meaningless so what they said these larger settlements do is they put these huge you know um stakes protruding out because basically what they do what they're doing is taking advantage of the stupidity and the madness of some of these beasts where they'll just charge at your settlement mm. and then effectively impale themselves yeah. <laughs> on these huge stakes <laughs> um and then what i thought was really hilarious mm. is the fact that obviously what they then do is the local people in this settlement will start putting a fire under the now dead beast mm. and they'll cook it and have it for dinner <laughs> i mean why not exactly <laughs> ah, it's you know self-made barbecue there um and sort of going on from that the realm is like a lot of them if you die here you're devoured you know there's Mm. so there's lots of bones everywhere because obviously because there's lots of beasts there's lots of carcasses so you know they all get stripped of meat and everything like that yeah i said lots of bones everywhere um the realm stone of of uh, gur is um, like an amber like fossil type Mm -hmm. which again is quite fitting with this prehistoric (laughs) type era of a realm um and these particular uh this particular type of realm stone is hunted by the uh by shamans and seers of the realm as well because Mm -hmm. effectively what they certain uh, if they've got the power to do so they can basically transform themselves into beast versions of themselves which is brilliant that's pretty cool Exactly. <laughs> it's like I've got the power of the wolf, and then they. And they, what's quite cool is then they join the packs of hunting animals. So, mm. like I said, if they see a a lion type creature, mm. um, obviously it wouldn't be a lion in, in this realm, but that type, like a feline, it'll you know a shaman can easily turn into one of them and, and join in with the hunt mm. and um, yeah, you know, get yeah. get a bit of a meat out of it, <laughs> which is really cool. Um, and talking of meat, due to the abundance of it. Um, obviously there's certain commodities that are worth quite a lot which in this case is quality sea salt (laughs) (laughs) nice that that they're updating the uh, the cooking side of things (laughs) in this core book Um, so yeah so basically quality sea salt is needed in this realm a lot from obviously from the other realms because to keep the meat okay because it can be traded for other valuable things they can trade it for you know weapons and Mm. ore and things like that but <laughs> one of the hardest things of keeping the meat um, okay isn't actually having the sea salt. It's the fact that the, of whoever's transporting it not eating before mm. it gets to its destination. Which I thought was great. Mm. Um, as you'd imagine, the realm is home to many tribes. You've got orcs and um, ogres mainly. Mm. Um, it's you know it's that might is right mentality yeah, as you'd expect yeah. of those type of um, races, um, and basically. They ain't have that mentality because it allows them to survive in this realm. Because again, it's this hunt or you know hunt or be hunted mentality. Mm. Um, throughout the different tribes, Gorkamorka is is a, is praised by all effectively. Mm. Um, even to the point that some of the human nomads, because even though it is like I said, very dominated by those sort of races, you do have quite a few humans. Because a lot of humans will just travel there, you know, just become a hunter mm. effectively. Because yeah. it's quite a neutral realm in some senses compared to some of the others. Mm. Um, it's not heavily, heavily tainted by chaos compared to some of the others. Um, so, yeah, so even the human nomads will start praising Gorkamorka because why not? They're there. So mm. like, let's let's go with it, man. Yeah, you know, let's yeah, do it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, again, with those sort of races, you've got the Iron Jaws all around. Um, you've got Bone Splitters in the Heartlands, uh, Ogres in the Hinterlands, which is the, the Beast Call Raiders, um, obviously with their bringing their Ever Winter everywhere, which we'll get onto <laughs> when we talk about the factions. Yeah. 
Um, basically, the first signs of chaos uh, were the the corn worshippers hunting for skulls because mm. well, there's plenty of skulls around, as we as I alluded to, <laughs> but a bit earlier. Um, and basically, the forces of destruction fought them back, saying, "Get out, get out of our town." Um, and then that's when the order got involved, and so you've got this basically like this almost like a three way fight. So mm. um, there's not particularly much evidence of death being there, but order, chaos, and destruction do inhabit this realm quite a bit. Um, and like I said, just it, it's it's quite odd actually that um, I noticed in the bit about Gur that um, the realm, it, even though it talks about the normal realms realm stone that's there, it also talks about some of the others that are in the other realms as well. Mm. So you know, just so <laughs> while we're on the topic of realm stone, mm-hmm. so realm stone is basically. Uh, created due to traumatic events leading to magical energy turning into realm stone basically mm. and it's different in different realms so in gyran you've got sort of like this jade ice which is like where it melts it steams it condenses and then hardens again mm-hmm. shaman is like a globular quicksilver type material mm-hmm. Haish is like a quartz like concentrate or which which can sorry which can concentrate or dissipate magic energy Ulgu is like is a gray gossamer which is reputed to be lies given form and in blight city which is the home of the skaven mm. it's warpstone yeah. which we know uh, from previous conversations so um so yeah that's good and let's talk about the rules mm. if i was prepared and had them in front of me oh here they are mm. uh, <laughs> so uh the realm sphere magic for this one is wild form uh wild form has casting value of five if uh, successfully cast pick a friendly unit within 12 inches of the caster that is visible to them add two to charge to charge and run rule get my words out add two to charge and run rolls made for the unit you picked until your next hero phase yeah so get some even even faster into battle mm. so yep that's <laughs> really cool um so right so under the uh realm commands it's not it, there isn't yeah. actually a realm commands no, on this one quite no. Oddly, but they've got a section which is called Monstrous Beasts. So after the setup, each player can set up a monster that is not a hero, starting with the player that finished setting up their army first. These monsters are called Monstrous Beasts in the rules that follow. This is that's what sometimes me and Cameron get called. Um, <laughs> these are <laughs> <They're> not <laughs> part of, it, of uh, either army. A Monstrous Beast can be set up anywhere on the battlefield that is more uh, that is more than nine inches from any other Monstrous Beast and more than nine inches from models from either army. Monstrous Beasts choose their prey at the start of each battle round. Their prey for that battle round will be the army army that has a unit closest to them for the rest of that battle round the monstrous beast joins the opposing army if both armies have a unit equally close to a monstrous beast roll off to determine who picks a monstrous beast prey monstrous beasts will not pick each other as prey Mm. oh that's a shame um (laughs) (laughs) note that a monstrous beast prey can change each battle round and monstrous beasts will swap sides depending on which army has the closest unit also note that a monstrous beast can attack any unit in their prey's army not just the closest unit and cannot uh, itself be attacked or charged by units from the army it is joined so that is yeah. a really cool rule. Yeah. That is just chaos. <laughs> All these beasts just roaming around, yeah. joining. Yeah. That, that is a fun. See, now this is why I'm loving how they go, the direction they're going yeah, with Age of Sigmar. Exactly. That is a really cool thing. I, I mean, I'm sure there's probably people listening, that, especially if you're quite competitive or a competitive player, that it's, it makes things more difficult, you know, because mm. obviously you can't, it's an, yet another thing to try and deal with. But mm. I think for people that are, a bit more casual this is brilliant doing these sort oh, of things because yeah. it's just 
it's just fun. Ah, <laughs> just uh, these beasts just roaming around, just exactly. attacking, you know, having these neutral beasts. Mm. It's brilliant. That's a really good idea. Yeah. No, I, I really like that. And it's great for, like, narrative <laughs> stuff as well, because, like, you can just imagine, you, all we've got is a couple of manticores. Cool. We've, we're fighting in a manticore nest, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like that. Yeah. Oh, exactly. It's... And it's just, <laughs> and it can properly swing things in, you know, in one favor that wasn't mm. anticipated really i think no i think that's a that's an awesome thing i think they should have <laughs> said more of these sort of things again i suppose it's similar to in a way to the end of spells isn't it it's just having these yeah, sort of just yeah. these other things in play that that you can't account for that's not just your opponent so mm. no that's yeah. that's really cool uh right so moving on to the features uh which one do i like <laughs> mm, have you got any particular favorites uh i'm a big fan of reckless aggression uh which is any unit that is within 12 inches of an enemy un- enemy unit at the start of the charge phase they take a mortal wound unless they finish the charge phase within three inches of an enemy model basically uh it's eat or be eaten so the the realm is literally punishing you for not charging into melee <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if you do charge, yeah. you get to re-roll hit rolls of one, uh, which is nice, pretty yeah. cool. Um, so I, I just like that idea of go such a physically aggressive place that um people start going nuts and hitting themselves if they can't get into melee. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's awesome. I think this is the most amusing of all of them. Mm. I mean, it, actually, going on from that, if you look at five and six, mm. which is beasts of Gur and territory of beasts, it's the fact that. Well, like number six, both mm. players can set up an additional monstrous beast using the monstrous beast rule yeah. that we were just talking yeah. about. Just even more, more <laughs> just more, more monsters on the field. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I think it's quite good as well because for for a lot of people that you who may want to build or paint some of these beast models that mm. you may not want to again collect the army of that would use them. It's just you know it just gives you an excuse just to paint up some more models. Mm. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. Uh, but that is cool. Right. Okay. Cool. I think we're on to our next realm. Yeah. A uh, uh, the, very, uh, very well-known one. Yeah. Uh, so our next realm is Azir, the realm of heavens. This is Sigmar's house. Yay, everybody. <laughs> yeah. We're in Sigmar's house. We're all going house. around to Sigmar's house. We're going to Sigmar's house with his Sigmar's clubhouse and his Sigmar's Sigmarabulum and his Sigmar's Sigmarite hammers. And he he likes to name things after himself is what I'm saying. Um <laughs> <laughs> He, he really does. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so Azir is the realm of heavens. Um, it's Sigmar's favorite place. It seems to be Sigmar's favorite place because it's the first place he landed. Um, <laughs> he, he just likes it because he <laughs> it's started It's the there. Nagash mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, you, but it, it's quite a nice place. It's um, He sort of arrived and he he explored the entire realm, which is an impressive feat in its own. Um, it's quite, it's quite near to Heish, so during the day it's very bright, and at night there is a very near, uh, very nearby star, which is the high star Sigendil, um, to kind of keep it light at night as well. Um, there are, there were a lot of model tribes there initially, and Sigma did his whole thing of building up civilization with them. He sort of remembered his early days when, back when he was model, and he raised up the empire of the world that was. Um, and you know, he sort of decided, well, I've done such a good job here. Clearly, I should go <laughs> uplift all the other realms as well. <laughs> <laughs> he can't um, help himself. He can't help himself. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, eventually, he got around to building uh, his his great city in Azir, which is 
Azerheim, because again, he's not particularly imaginative sometimes, uh, our dear Sigmar. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't call it like Sigmar City or something. Mm, yeah. Uh, I guess there could have been worse names than Azerheim, I guess, but. <laughs> True, true. Um, so uh, a lot of a lot of Azir as a realm is very mountainous, uh, and so Azaheim is actually built in this very wide valley circled by mountains, and it was slowly raised up, but it was always bathed in this sort of reddish, weird light, because uh, Malice, which is the actual planet of the world that was, was just hanging in the sky uh, where Sigmar had left it, effectively. <laughs> <laughs> Like, he, he, he bothered to cling on to it all the way here. He wasn't going to abandon it <laughs> and just throw it out into the <laughs> void. So it's like, well, no, it's part of the realm of Vizier now. We're just going to hunk, ha- we're just going to hang it in the sky. Don't worry about it. Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, but, but you know, th- this, uh, Azaheim basically becomes the holy terror of Age of Sigma. It is this, Mm-hmm. This humbling grand city of golden spires and citadels that reach ever higher towards the stars. You know, all these different model races come together to build it up. It's this beautiful metropolis that shines. It's the eternal city, the first city, the city of the lost. Uh, it is this refuge for the various refugees because, you know, chaos keeps killing people. And so people keep <laughs> running away from chaos. Um <laughs> And it, and it it was sort of also the last great city because during the Age of Chaos, everywhere else fell. You know, Azaheim was the only place that stayed unsullied and, un- and, t- and untouched. Mostly because Sigmar just kind of locked himself away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so at the height of the Age of Chaos, he just shut the realm. You know, none of the realm gates are allowed to work anymore. No one else can come to his ear. I don't want Chaos to taint this place. Um... <laughs> But, you know, uh, it, it's already a very diverse place. It's got this massive population, uh, and everyone sort of coexists under this hatred of chaos and the dream of one day reclaiming the rest of the realms. Uh, and, you know, people are, people were hopeful for a long time. Uh, and th- then Sigma was like, well, I keep looking at that dead planet I brought here that's just hanging in the sky. Uh, and, you know, he, he feels bad about it. Uh, so he decided to create a temple sort of honoring his own pantheon. Basically, he called it the Sigmarabulum, <laughs> because of course he did. Uh, <laughs> Just congratulate himself, mm. pat himself on the back. <laughs> yeah, um, but it, it's a really cool place because it's essentially this ring world built around the uh, the empty shell of Malice. It's like, a, it's like a Halo ring world, if you've played hmm. any of the Halo games. Yeah. You know, this is his vault celestial. It's where the Pantheon lived, like, you know, Grungni and Sigmar and the other gods had living quarters there. You know, presumably they mostly spent time in their own realms, but, you know, <laughs> it's also where he's built the Anvil of Apotheosis, where the six smiths that sort of replaced Grungni still work. Um, mm-hmm. And it is now also the place where the Stormcast Eternals arms and armor are forged using Sigmarite, which is the metal of the world that was. Um, but you know, it's, it's not, it's not all love and friendship in Azir. Um, <laughs> Sigma, <Never> is. <laughs> well, the, the, I mean, the big thing is Sigma is the god of order, realistically. Like he, he's the big, yeah. he's the big, he's the big bad of order. If, uh, if we're looking at it from the chaos and death and destruction point of view, like he's the guy in charge. 
there are there yeah. are there are other Can't gods associated, that. but it's Sigma. Um, and so he really, really dislikes lawlessness because that's how chaos gets in effectively. Um, mm-hmm. it's a little ironic, seeing as he was originally from a tribe of barbarians that just did whatever they wanted. Yeah, but you know, he gets that, doesn't he? Mm, uh, we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, you know, he he feels he's got a lot of responsibility now. He's got to look after billions of people, make sure they don't get uh <laughs> don't get all that chaos tank going on. Um <laughs> you know, it, it it's it's a bad thing. Um and so at the start of the Age of Chaos when he allowed this massive influx of refugees, he actually actually also accidentally got some hidden agents of chaos infiltrating the city. Uh and it eventually came to a head and Sigma just descended on the city killed everyone with the mark of chaos but also killed anyone who had uh harbored hatred in their heart which was presumably Ooh. a lot of people because uh <laughs> yeah a lot of people, <laughs> understandably a lot so of people have things they hate sigma it's not necessarily yeah. all leading to chaos <laughs> no exactly <laughs> i like i hate i hate marmite but i'm, I'm not mm. part of chaos or yeah am I? Mm. um you know <laughs> come on sigma <laughs> chill out mate uh i mean you know, he, I think he just wanted to make it very clear that, no, you've got to all get along. I'm going to tell you this by just beating the hell out of all of you <laughs> until you get along. Um. <laughs> well, you see, that's the thing about Sigma. He's not... He, he comes across like he is a good god, but mm. at times he really isn't. I mean, I suppose that's probably a good thing. And I suppose, mm. let's be honest, you can compare him to the Emperor of Mankind in 40K. Yeah. Because, again, yeah. you know, even though... At the surface, think, oh yeah, he's the good guy. He's the good god, but mm, mm. now you know, not really. There's not, there's, not, he's not all, yeah. you know, softness and light, is he really? Mm. So, and I think Sigmar's part of the same. I mean, like we've, you know, previously said about the Stormcast with what's ha- happening with them and the fact he's quite willing to sacrifice them. So, mm. you know, he's not, you know, he's not all good. Yeah, um, there are a few sayings. There is, it's order, not good, which I know we've often said with things mm-hmm. like the Eidneth and the Daughters True. of Cain. But there's also, there's also, uh, what I, what I would call a typical D&D saying, which is, good is not nice. Um, <laughs> no, no, just organized and civilized to a yeah. degree. But then, but then I suppose it's a reflection of real life, isn't it? Like here, you mm. know, in our yeah. real lives, you yeah. know, it's, it's order, but not everyone's nice. No, no, exactly. Um, Apart from all our listeners, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys are all pretty lovely. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You guys rock. Mm. Uh, now, there aren't any realm rules for Azir, because no battles nope. have ever, ever actually been fought there, apart from that one time Sigma <laughs> just killed everyone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you're not allowed to fight in Azir. Bad, 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 bad people. Um, I nope. would... They'll Although, get no ideas. If anyone makes up any rules for it, send them to me because that'd be cool. Let us know. I want to fight. <laughs> I want to fight Nazir. <laughs> um. Yeah. Right. We've yeah. Got so that's one last round. One more. Yeah. Exactly. Quite the opposite. In fact, <laughs> it's the realm of chaos. Yeah. Um. Which technically is not a mortal realm as such. Mm. It's but it's called the realm of chaos. Because that's where Chaos hang out. Um, <laughs> it's uh, effectively an, an alternative reality, mm. more than a mortal realm. Yeah. Um, just to make it even more confusing. Uh, uh, it's it's the warp. <laughs> it's the warp. It's the warp. You know, any rules rules <laughs> don't apply. We know what it's like. Um, it's the home of the Chaos Gods, naturally, and mm-hmm. the demons, mm-hmm. you know, which are all, all 
manifested from pure emotion, which mm. I think often gets sometimes, well, to me anyway, gets sometimes overlooked. That it's not yeah. literally chaos gods just going abracadabra. Um, <laughs> that's just my default magic saying. Um, the and just bring, you know brings a, a demon into into the you know reality as such. It is purely from an emotion of some mm. sort. Yeah. Um, um, and and quite interestingly, the they're all as of one of the same energy. So mm. yeah, I'm sitting quite deep now when I'm saying this. <laughs> We're all of the same energy. Um, <laughs> but the chaos gods and the demons are literally of the same energy, even though mm. you think you know on one side you've got these you know mega powerful god chaos gods that have been around since well what since whenever really yeah, and then you've got yeah. the demons which are the little people in comparison to them but they're actually of the same like i said of the same energy um and quite interesting as well that a god's power so any of the gods there over there over the worlds and the realms and the mortal realms basically increases their power inside the realm of chaos so the better they're doing outside of the realm of chaos is the better they do inside the realm of chaos mm. um yeah. so and the sort of as you would expect their sort of various territory that they've got in the realm of chaos is in the same appearance as them themselves so mm. you know for example corn is all blood and skulls you know he's on a brass throne you know he's got yeah. uh, chaos demons and flesh hounds at his feet you know just as you would imagine it uh zinch his route his territory in the realm is all about change and magic you know it's all mm. fluctuating and you know illusionary and things like that uh yeah, nurgles yeah. is all about death regeneration pestilence plague you know it's mm. uh you know a dirty but fun time <laughs> <laughs> with nurgles <laughs> oh. and uh slanesh is you know all about temptation so, as you expect so a fun but dirty time as opposed to a dirty but fun time exactly you know to, you know you you can mix the words up however you want you know you you let it be what you want it to be <laughs> so um and the in in the realm of chaos all the gods have a particular form as well mm, which mm. again which pers sort of personifies them and ultimately they're watching um watching the molten realms ready to excuse the pun cause chaos that's what they do <laughs> hey. um so the the realm as again when like you said cameron comparing it to the warp the realm is very random you know you've got weird things like stairways that are going to the sky and then bending backwards upon themselves you've got quite interestingly you've got like a fl <laughs> this flow of burned souls going through woodlands you know it's it's just mm. you know the the worst things that a mind could imagine basically mm, is yeah. the way this realm is <laughs> as expected. Um, so going back to corn, um, it, you know, it, it's his home. It's, you know, it's all about battle, fury yeah. and violence. You know, it's, that's his, his thing, as we already know, you know, it's all war horns, whips, mm. battle cries, weapons. And like I said earlier, he's got a brass citadel, which <laughs> is made of brass metal walls. It's got red veined marble, which sounds lovely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's got a moat of boiling blood, uh, nice. fire spitting gargoyles. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah it's, it's not the greatest of places unless <laughs> that's your thing, you know, but uh, yeah. it's a, like I said, it's as you imagine is his place to be. Uh, is it, <laughs> uh, it's, oh, exactly. It's, it's the, the most metal of all album covers <laughs> by far. Uh, Zinch, um, like I said, is bizarre and hard to describe. Um, he, his realm is, he's got the what's called the Crystal Labyrinth, which is on a plateau. Um, and basically, his, his particular domain 
contorts through nine realms oh, all at God. once. <laughs> I, I, came, I can't comprehend that. Well, I think so, that's the point. <laughs> which I think, exactly, <laughs> that's not how it, no, not for our, our simple mortal minds here. Mm. Um, you know, it's all about lies and secrets and pathways to these lies. Yeah, it is, yeah it's a uh, mm. typical zinch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nurgle, it's a disgusting paradise of life, which mm. is quite an interesting and that's what I was saying earlier about it being fun and dirty because yeah, yeah. as we've alluded to before multiple times, when it comes to Nurgle, at the end of the day, yes, it's all plague, pestilence, disease and things like that, but it's also life and mm. regeneration as well. So it yeah. is a combination of it's, it, I think it gets described as a bit of a circus <laughs> in some ways. It's, it's that, yeah. you know, because obviously, as you, as we know with Nurgle's forces, they're all laughing and cackling and giggling as well mm. as throwing around disease. It's, it's, a bizarre concept but uh a very cool one at the same time so yeah it's a disgusting paradise of life death and rebirth yep yeah, you've got diseased jungles that have got every affliction that you would know uh you've got choking spore mushrooms um and then there's a particular area called nurgle's manse which is basically rotten timbers and broken walls and basically underneath it is nurgle with his mm-hmm. big cauldron and yeah. i mean basically and for scope his cauldron, the 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 liquid as such that would be inside it, is basically all the water that covers all the mortal realms. Mm. And basically, what he's doing, he's busy there concocting with his big cauldron. He takes his big ladle out. Uh, who knows how big that ladle is? And basically, pours it out, and that's what sort of comes with the play grains that mm. uh, yeah. sort of damage the uh, the mortal realms. So yeah, <laughs> that's what he's busy doing. He's having a he's having a great old time oh, down yeah. there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and lastly, Sanesh. Um, well, Sanesh's place is a bit barren, really, because mm. as we know, he's uh, a bit trapped at the moment. So Sanesh's palace used to be a six-fold realm of pleasure, which sounds mm. very intriguing. <laughs> uh, but basically, it's fallen into <laughs> into disrepute since Sanesh was uh, captured. Mm. You know, so yeah, no, yeah. The, as we know, his followers are bit lost at the moment and mm. so was his his place really it's a bit dusty no one's really doing anything there which is a real shame mm-hmm. um and similar to azia there isn't any any rules because no one's fighting in the realm of chaos <laughs> except i would I, again would love to see rules for each of the different realms because oh god yeah th- there's all yeah, this good definitely. stuff you could do like you could do um plague garden you could recreate stormcast mm. fighting the forces of nurgle in nurgle's garden it'd be really cool there's, there's, like, there's, it's narrative play. That's why narrative play is there. Yeah, make up absolutely. all these cool rules, you know. <laughs> and to be, and again, what's stopping you? Ultimately, if it's if it's purely narrative and casual, mm. you know, you could come up with some great rules. And I bet there's probably already people that started to oh, anyway. Yeah. Will scour oh, yeah. the internet. <laughs> Where are these rules? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's the that's the realms of uh, the mortal realms of. The Age of Sigma. So mm. uh, what we're going to do is take another break. And when we come back, we're going to finish with our last segment, which is where we're going to go through all the different factions. Ooh. Hooray! There are so many. <laughs> so, so many. <laughs> and welcome back to the final bit of episode 10. I know it's been a long one, but here we are. And now for this last segment, as promised, we're going to go through all the different factions of the Age of Sigma. Um, we'll try and, well, summarize them as uh, best as possible because we could be here all day with it. Yeah. But we can't because we've got things to do. So um, we'll go in order of the uh, the various factions. Huh. 
That was, no pun intended, yet again. Yeah. Starting with order. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, we'll start with order, and we're going to start with, uh, well, the most well-known poster boys, the Stormcast Eternals. Mm-hmm. So, Stormcast Eternals, they're obviously the Warriors of Sigmar, from, as we know, from the realm of Azir. Um, mm-hmm. And they're ultimately demigods compared to, to normal folk. Um I mean, we've got to remember, though, they are still mortal, in a sense, at the end of the day. They are still, you know, you can still kill them. Because um, I think what often gets seen with the Stormcast, again, if you're making comparisons to things like Space Marines of 40k, for example, mm. you know, again, they can be killed. They are normal normal men and women as in they're just a bit stronger but they haven't got you know they're not all super powered and things like that they are they're just a bit super <laughs> they're sort of that middle ground aren't they they're not yeah like they're not immortal yeah. in, in some senses they are i suppose because they keep getting mm. brought back to life yeah which we know obviously has certain implications but but ultimately um which i think we alluded to in our last episode is that you know they do lead normal lives as well you know they do do their own things they do sort of what's mm. their equivalent of national service so they will go off and you know farm <laughs> the land and have families and things like that so talking immortals so yeah they basically used to be a normal mortal like like you and i um who at some point has battled chaos um, and has got a real strong hatred towards chaos. So it could be either they were fighting chaos at the time, they were standing up to the chaos, they were rebelling against their tyranny. Um, and ultimately, it's uh, through their act, they've been recognised by Sigmar. So basically, mm. as they die, so in the middle of you know p- putting up this this fight in front against chaos, as they die, they're basically whisked away. Well, their soul is anyway, is whisked away, turned into energy, and taken to a place called High Hazir. So, mm-hmm. uh, at the start of this process, you'll be glad to know they have three days of feasting, you know, because <laughs> no, no rush. Don't worry. You know, let's, 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 you know, gently put you into this situation. So they have, like I said, three days of feasting at the, in the, um, what's known as the Heldon Hall, um, which is basically a combination of, a, as a, of, as a welcome, uh, so say, welcome, yeah. here you are. And also a chance for them to recoup in whatever mm. context that means um so then the next sort of part of this uh re- what's going to be the reforging process is basically they're taken to the chamber of the broken world which is get another great uh, album title yep. Yep. um <laughs> and then they're blasted by well it says un- it's, it's an odd one actually because it, it gets said that it's, they're blasted by unknown powers but then it gets said later that they're blasted by lightning. So, okay, they're blasted <laughs> by unknown lightning powers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, which is a process which can be a matter of seconds or it could be centuries. It, mm. it is it is a very random and, you know, diverse situation. Um, this can lead to some of them dying where they just, they're not mm. fit enough to, you know, strong enough to deal with this process. Um, the next part is you've got what's called the, which is the seven times seven cans of tempering which is another interesting name um which is basically where the body and soul is blended with the gifts of god or gifts of the gods primarily sigma but obviously the other gods have had their saying things mm. as well uh yeah. their souls purified and then like i said they're given the ultimate gift from sigma where, where basically they're reforged in celestial magic um mm. as part of the blessings of the world hammer which is what the um you said earlier cameron the anvil of the apotheosis mm. Yeah. Um, and then they're basically given what's 
basically they become a magic and flesh combination as in mm. they are flesh they are you know they do have bodies but then they're imbued with magic or like literally every cell of them is has some sort of magic involved <laughs> so ultimately that leads to them becoming stronger faster etc mm. um and then the next part of this process because like i said it keeps going it's not a five minute thing <laughs> it's uh which i think cameron you said to, to earlier um is the gladiatorium um, yeah, which, uh, yeah was it, it malarian? was malarian's gift yeah, yeah. Exactly. So uh, that's basically like you alluded to earlier, where they basically fight and kill each other um, as part of their training. But obviously, the good advantage is if they're injured or killed, they basically get brought back to life. So it's like a, mm. <laughs> so yeah. infinite lives situation. Yeah. So they get to train there <laughs> and prove themselves. Um, as we well know, they're armored in Sigmarite, uh, which is like I said, is the arcane metal from Malice, the world that was. Um, you, they're basically it's a, it's and quite interestingly, it's a body and soul protection. So it's not mm, just to make them yeah. look good and and take off blow, uh, you know, take off blows from their enemies. Uh, it's also to protect their soul in a, a manner of speaking. And obviously, their mm. weapons are made from it too. Their hammers, their swords, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so all. Stormcast end up being part of a chamber, which um, which I suppose is I suppose their equivalent of the chapters, isn't it? Really, I think. Uh, or is it no companies? No. I suppose it'd be more companies. Yeah, I suppose. companies. Storm hosts yeah. are the chapters. Hosts are chapters. Companies yeah. are the <clears throat> specialists, basically. Yes. That's right, yeah. Oh, so confusing. Um, so, <laughs> so the the strike chambers are the most numerous. You got the uh, the tempest chambers, which of them the vanguard chambers are the most notable, uh, who basically roam at will doing their mm-hmm. doing their work. You've got the extremist chambers, which, as we've I think said before, um, is the the one with the what's the the celestial ch- celestial children of Dracothian, which is. Yeah. Uh, the the Drakoth, yep, exactly. Yeah. So then they <laughs> form storm storm host from them. So <clears throat> basically, each storm host is uh, what's arguably a combination of tactics and storm. <laughs> Stormcast, <laughs> basically, it's a you know it's the the meeting of all different tactical minds, uh, you know, with a mm. certain purpose. Um, the Stormcast can lightning down, for a better phrase, <laughs> from Azir, as we know, uh, to basically any mortal realm. And this is all thanks to Grugni. Um, this is mm. one of the gifts he sort of as part of helping out um, Sigmar, because like I said, he, he was, I suppose, arguably the most devoted of the gods to Sigmar, mm. wasn't he, compared to some oh, of the yeah. others. He, he, uh, he definitely liked, <laughs> he loved his Sigmar. <laughs> so as one of his gifts, he's helped this process i was gonna say technology but that's not really the right phrase <laughs> so, yeah, yeah you know in a manner of speaking um so basically sigmar hurls them down you know using the light from the realm of heavens and that's where the stormcast turn up down on the mortal realm to, mm. to basically fight everyone now key thing is there's only two ways back to get back to the realm of heavens <laughs> so first one is to take the realm gate to azir the simple mm-hmm. one you know getting the, getting the flight home <laughs> or the other way which is the painful way which is to die so yeah. <laughs> when so when they die it's not all lost except for extreme circumstances which is what we've alluded to before it's not always uh, they can be uh, absolutely destroyed that is possible so basically the, their body dissipates uh, it changes to a cloud and flashes up to the sky and off they go back to Azir um, this, which is their soul stuff and they enter Sigmar's vault and then they go through the painful reforging process all mm. again. Yay. Um, yeah. And then, like I said, the reforging process, um, so as we 
as I've been saying previously, it suggests it's not an easy process. Mm. Um, and I think what's quite interesting as well is that because obviously this constant fight with chaos, it also suggests there's not enough time. And that's what, where some of the flaws in the reforging process happen mm. that mm. basically, cause they're like, right, we need to get them back out you know, to get uh, to fight chaos, that's where they start losing part of themselves. And as we've said before, that's when they can, this potential corruption and, and emotion yeah. or yeah. lack of emotion can appear where they start going a bit crazy and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's quite an interesting concept with what happens with them. Um, and obviously, like we said, they, you know, they can start losing part of themselves and that, which changes their body and mind. And that's where they're, and it, and it's also where their mortal flaws come out. So that's, you know, so if they had issues when they were in their normal mortal form, like they were quite aggressive or something mm. like that, that's more likely to manifest, you know, in, in this reforging process. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, let's talk about some of the different, uh, hosts or storm hosts you've got the mm-hmm. uh, the black hammers which are the which were the, the suddenly destructive ones <laughs> basically <laughs> it's all started going very very destructive um you've got the uh, the hammers of sigmar which where their sort of mm. their main thing is where they only accept victory they they mm. they've got to win at all costs they hate losing mm-hmm. that's their sort of main you know uh, mantra and, and flaw arguably mm. uh you've got the celestial vindicators which is you know about bloody revenge and things like that again mm. vindicator you know in the title um you know it's where and it's quite an interesting one because you get like moments where like lightning will appear in their eyes thunder in their words mm. they're a very uh yeah they've got they got they got a chip on their shoulder those vindicators <laughs> um <laughs> which um the problem is because of that because they often die quite a lot compared to some of the others that it creates them it's given them quite an uncertain future because they they mm. they because they have reforged a hell of a lot more than some of the others which mm. you know like we just saying can have big consequences um so going back to the hammers of sigmar there the they were the very first storm host i know they get mm. seen as the ultramarines of, <laughs> of uh, the stormcast but yeah, that's sort of what how they're portrayed. Again, they're reforged a lot because they're constantly fighting. They're they're, they're probably one of the most yeah. active of all the storm hosts, um, and obviously includes people like uh, Vanders Hammerhand, which we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, going back to the Vindicators, they're the I mean, they're again the we the reason they've been part of their storm host is they at some point they prayed to Sigmar to get revenge on Chaos. That's mm. again that's their like I said their whole mantra. Um, and it does mention as well that they're as part of their reforging, they pass through um, Sturmdrang Gate as well, um, which I don't know much about, if I'm being honest. So I don't know. Mm. What, yeah, it, um, it's in- pro- it's probably one of the trials that are part of the Cans of Tempering, I think. Yes. Because yeah, it, again, there's there's a lot that's unclear, but between getting exactly. blasted apart in the Chamber of the Broken World and getting reforged at the Anvil, there are a series of trials to make sure you're still okay to be reforged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes perfect <laughs> sense. Yeah, no, that makes yeah. sense. Um, and also another key thing they do is that they use chanting to remain focused. Otherwise, they lose their focus mm. quite easily. So, uh, they're, yeah, they're very, yeah, a very... I was going to say very focused storm, <laughs> storm most, but they yeah they've definitely got their own way of doing things. Um, you got the hallowed knights, which yes. you're 
quite familiar with yourself. Only the faithful. Um, <laughs> only the faithful. <laughs> uh, who are using, or sorry, are performing a sacred crusade against chaos. Um, mm. Obviously, Gardas is one of them that we know we've mentioned yep. before. Yep. Um, and they're, and they're arguably the most loyal and happy to die for Sigmar as well mm. because of this yeah. sort of sacred crusade. Um, and they're also very magic resistant as well. Mm. As, um, Interesting to know. And lastly, the other sort of main one is the Anvils of the Heldenhammer, which, mm-hmm. um, as we when we were talking about uh, death before, they're the older spirits mm-hmm. of the of the souls. Um, they use older techniques, and I think that's the reason why one of the reasons why they were brought mm-hmm. back because they can, I suppose, bring some experience to the <laughs> to the <laughs> to the force. Yeah, um, yeah. Naturally, they try to avoid Nagash for the same reason because obviously he's very. <laughs> very pissed off that they were taken from him um and they and part of their process as well one of the techniques they do is they create weapons to collect souls they're very that's sort of one of their main focuses as well so Mm. um so yeah that's a summary of the stormcast eternals Mm. yeah they are they are super cool (laughs) they are I think they're getting cooler as well. I think because again, I think I think that it's so easy to see them as the poster boys and not much, not much Mm. else to them. But I think they're definitely fleshing them out more. They're not just as super and squeaky clean as they first came across, which is really Mm. cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like they're they're getting better all the time. Like if you if you want to read good Stormcast stuff, I know I've said it before. Read Josh Reynolds. He make he writes such good stuff. Read Soul (laughs) Wars the novel. It's got so much good stuff for the anvils of the held of um the Heldenhammer, and yeah, this this great, it's great, it's wonderful. Yeah, um, go get it. But yeah, but, uh, but talking of boys in gold, but very different boys in gold. Uh, we've also got <laughs> the Fire Slayers. Yay! Um, <laughs> Yay! Colloquially known as the Naked Dwarves. Uh, they don't wear that much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's the Naked Dwarves again. Well, you, you get three important pieces of equipment. You get your axe, very important. You get your helmet, very important. And you get your loincloth. And that's about all you'll get yep. with the, these guys, it looks like. Um, Ideal lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're sort of these famous mercenaries. Uh, they sort of honor their word. Um, if they, if they say they'll fight for you, they'll fight for you until they die or until they win. Uh, although other people sort of see them as muscle bound maniacs who skirt the edge of madness in their search for gold. <laughs> Which, you know, that, that, but both images are, uh, are a little, uh, a little, a, at least a little bit correct. Um, the, these are the dwarves that take after Grimnir, the god of wrath, rather than Grungni, the god of invention. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, they, they've, they've kind of been on a bit of crusade ever since Grimnir went and died fighting Volcatrix, uh, because Grimnir exploded into a substance called Ur Gold, uh, which has a lot of his godly essence still trapped within it. Uh, now only the Rune Masters of Fire Slayer Lodges can actually uh, sort out what's regular gold and what's Ur Gold, uh, and so the Fire Slayers just want gold in general, like any piece of gold could be a piece of Ur Gold, so they, they get as much as they can, they mine it, they trade for it, they uh, mercenaries for it, to be honest. Like, uh, I remember episodes and episodes back, I talked about a short story where, like, Fire Slayers had a serious, like, trade bargain with a corn mm-hmm. chaos lord over two oh, chests, yeah. over two chests of Ur gold, because it's such a valuable resource for them. Um, and, you know, they even resort to force if they have to, uh, to try and get their hands on it. Uh, <laughs> it, it's not just because it's of religious significance, uh, they do actually use it, um, 
rune masters will sort of smelt it down and cast it into these runes of strength and endurance and then fuse it into their muscles uh slowly as sort of a very dedicated tattoo basically um <laughs> <laughs> which is a, like extremely nice. dedicated tattoo actually wasn't that in Kingsman 2 as well <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, part yeah. of that. that yeah, golden part of the tattoo. process, the golden circle. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, um, you know, but uh, the the upside to this is they don't do it just because it looks cool. They do it because then the uh, the rune fathers of the lodge can activate that rune in battle and let them become uh, not superhuman but super dwarfen. I guess is the correct term. Um, super dwarf. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they get faster, they get stronger. It's 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 pretty impressive to be honest they sort of just wade into battle almost completely naked with these axes and weapons just shatter on their skin they bounce off you know they start running faster than they should be able to run they start hitting harder than they should be able to hit uh just to make things even more <laughs> impressive they ride magma droths which are basically these big wingless dragons that spit burning acid they're nice. really awesome God, i love that <clears throat> model as well it's such a good model um <laughs> just side note um and you know hi azir you know the people of azir have spent plenty of money hiring these guys because they are just you, you get what you pay for they are as good as they come uh, <laughs> they often fought uh they often fight alongside stormcast eternals for money rather than glory and honor uh <laughs> you know uh, well spent exactly exactly uh <laughs> They are, they're not a nomadic folk, mostly. They mostly form these lodges over the mouths of great volcanoes or deep in caverns. And, you know, they, they live around the lava. They work with the lava to create their weapons, to smelt their runes. Uh, but when they go out to war, they ha they march out in force. There are actually quite a lot of these guys, um, which, <laughs> Actually, side point, um, the first game of Age of Sigmar I saw being played months and months ago at this point was a guy who was running a Fire Slayer army. It was like 2,000 point game. And, um, he had like 60 dwarves on the table. I was like, that's the m most dwarves I've seen in my life. I was going to say, that's <laughs> huge. <laughs> it's just endless number and just an endless number of berserkers slowly running across the table. <laughs> wow. Must have a lot of orange paint. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, um, and they're, they're also still pretty proud, they're still dwarves, so once they're in this battle frenzy, once they've got their runes powering them up and, you know, they're starting to resist a lot of damage, if you do manage to actually wound them, that is a dire insult and sort of drives them into an even deeper fury. <laughs> Basically. As you, yeah. as you would expect, yes. Yeah, I'm Probably yeah. a, bit, a bit pissed off at that. <laughs> mm. And, 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 um, sort of expanding a little on what's in, uh, the core book here, there is sort of a madness to them as well. Like, they desire this gold to the point that it does drive them to madness. There are, um, berserkers, which I believe are special character units, but in one of the short stories I read, there's a berserker that kills other fire slayers to take their runes and put them into his own body because he needs more and more and more. It's like, it's almost <laughs> addictive. It's, it's, they've got a very dark side to them as well. They're, they're just gold hungry mercenaries for the most part, but they have their own it, sense of honor. <laughs> it's funny actually, because addiction in manner of speaking is, is quite a common theme with a lot of these races Ooh. as well, isn't it? They, you know, they, they, they do have their flaws and they have their extremes, mm. even, you know, like I was just saying with the Stormcast, where, you know, they've got certain triggers or certain things that they'll pursue at all costs. Mm. And like, I want more mm. of that. I want more of that. And it's, it's quite a, yeah, again, you know, and it's not just the, 
the race is connected to chaos either. Even though like mm. I said a lot of the pretty much you know, you can think of pretty much all the forces of order have something that they crave, you know, more than anything. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's quite you know I mean even like when we get onto the Caradron overlords, they're <laughs> you know, they're obsessed with ether, ether gold, you know, and things yeah, like that. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, you know, and you know, when we go to the daughters of Cain, they're obsessed with blood mm. and things like that. So no, no, it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense actually. <laughs> hmm. Everyone's on a quest for vital resources. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, moving on. Uh, you moving mentioned on. already the Caradron. I overlords. did. Let's let's talk about <laughs> some more Dwardin. Let's talk about the Caradron overlords, um, which actually are very cool. Uh, race mm. actually i must admit because i'll be honest and i know there'll be people out here going what but i've never been a massive fan of dwarves or yeah. Dwarden as they are now i'm not you know not hating but i've just know they're not a particular faction that i've really you know in, in the world that was was particularly fussed about them but i, I really mm. like this faction i think these are very interesting so the uh, caradron overlords are the Dwarden masters of technology and war machines um and and also, they're actually quite a recent faction compared to some of the mm. others. They're only in the sort of timeline, which we don't actually actually know, but um, they've <laughs> uh, recently shown themselves in the mortal realms because, you know, ultimately, because they're a fleet-based faction, they've spent a lot of time, <laughs> you know, up in the mm. air, protect, you know, sort <laughs> of not not bothering with what's happening down in the, in the rest of the realms. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like I just said, they are a fleet-based faction um, that... You know, according to witnesses, <laughs> is uh, full of awe and wonder. You know, they're a sort of a, mm. a faction. When you see them coming down from the skies, it's you know a sight to behold. At the end yeah. of the day, yeah. um, you know, you've got metallic vessels with guns and Dwarden warriors on there. You know, and they're and they're basically held aloft by, by these sort of spheres, which are which are filled with what I just mentioned a second ago, which is ether gold, which is mm. um, otherwise known as sky gold or the breath of Grungni, <laughs> which is a really cool name. Yeah. Um, which yeah. and basically this ether gold is very rich in shamanic energy, um, but it's also invisible as well. Um, mm. And and ultimately, it is the, the the most vital of all resources to the overlords. They can't yeah. really function without it. They can't, you know, they can't uh, use their their vessels or anything like that. It's absolutely key to how they how to how do they work. Mm. Um, and because of that, they're very highly skilled in detecting and using it. You know, they you know if mm. they get a hint of it. They're on it, <laughs> basically. Um, like a lot of the Dwardin of, of old, they used to live in the mountains and, you know, were uh, typical mining dwarves, as, as you would expect. Um, and obviously that all changed when Chaos arrived, as per usual, mm-hmm. uh, mucking things up for them. So Chaos arrived, um, basically tried to, the the uh, the overlords, they tried to team up with their allies, pray mm. to the, their gods, but unfortunately they didn't get an answer. So mm. basically, you know, inadvertently, that forced them to reach for the skies. Literally, <laughs> that is that is the reason why they they thought that's the mm. that's the only way we're going to go. Which is quite, I think, is really quite a cool, unique concept as well. Because mm. obviously, yeah. it traditionally in lore and you know other things where dwarves they're always underground or in, yeah, in their yeah. mountains, whereas these guys are all the way in the skies. And, and basically, <laughs> started a new empire. Yeah. So. They basically kept to the skies for quite a long time, for you know, well centuries. Because again, why not? Because you know, if it keeps them out of the clutches of chaos and things like that, mm. it's just a, you know. It's, I suppose it's you know, if you compare it to the Deepkin as well, when they mm. fled to the sea, same principles. Like, look, 
we don't we just want to get as far away from all the hassle as possible and that's sort of the the way that the caradron uh, overlords sort of took the same sort of mentality really so uh yeah which again makes perfect sense so but they so for centuries they traded amongst themselves but then once <laughs> effectively once the mortal realms picked up as in there was more activity mm. more going yeah. on yeah. they realized that they needed to come down to start trading mm. with the other races and and you know the other dwarden and things like that because ultimately it's profit for them and it helps themselves as well you know they realize mm. they can't shut themselves off forever so the sacred code of the overlords is speculate to accumulate. <laughs> so, uh, got to risk which, it to win big. <laughs> exactly. Um, if, you know, in a sort of more simple translation is they've got to kick ass to make sure trade is unaffected because again, yeah. they're, they're, their trade is so important to them. It's how, it's how they, you know, how they live. They can't sort of live without it. So yeah, mm. if, if there's anything that's threatening their trade routes or things like that, that is where they'll go out to fight. And it, it, more so than anything, that's actually sort of the driving factor. Um, yeah, mm. they will go out and fight chaos because chaos are bad to them and, and obviously cause some problems. But ultimately, it's <laughs> is it affecting my trade route? Yes, then I'm going to come <laughs> out and fight. That's, that's basically yeah, their mentality. Yeah. So which makes them seen as being quite selfish. But at the same time, it, it's, it's that common goal. Ultimately, you know that's where they start ending up teaming with the Stormcast and and the other elves and things like that. So mm. even though they are seen as selfish, at the end of the day, if you're a, some Stormcast and they're on your side helping you out, does it really matter that they only care about their trade routes as long as they're killing chaos with you? you yeah, know what I mean it's yeah. that sort of meant. So be it. <laughs> mm. So. Um, their weapons and technology is designed to basically take on enemies that they would have had to deal with when they're up in the sky, such as like chimera flocks and things like that. So yeah, it's quite yeah. cool is what they've done is that they've adapted their technology to work on the enemies of order, basically. So they mm. were, like I said, they were, it's to take on chimeras up top, but oh, we can, we can blast some demons with this. Why not? Mm. Um, and talking mm. of blasting, they're basically their weapons fire blind, like, sort of blinding energy, not cannonballs. It's not the old school, mm. you know, cannons yeah. that you'd see in some of the other races. It is their, their firing energy, which is really cool. So they're, they're quite modern. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so ultimately as a race, they are, their future, like a lot of races is quite uncertain because of this obsession with trade, because yeah. ultimately it could lead them down a path where they're going to obsess over it so much. They get themselves in, in a, you know, a dire situation or it'll start annoying other races or ultimately, mm. you know, they, yeah, you know, they've, they've got themselves, they could put themselves in a, in quite a predicament if they're not careful, but as a mm. race, they're really cool. <laughs> Yeah, they're really awesome. They are indeed. (laughs) Well, from the sky back down to the ground. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah, and uh, rather down to earth, I should say. uh, Next faction is the Sylvanath. So these are the uh, the vengeful spirit kin of Alariel, the Everqueen. And they grow from something called a soul pod, which is basically an old... Because they're big on recycling, these guys. So uh, your standard soul pod is actually basically your old an old, an old Sylvaneth or Elven soul, sort of jammed into a <laughs> jammed into a seed pod and sort of planted in the ground in a area of rich <laughs> magic, and it grows up into a lovely strong dryad or tree man or revenant, you know, whatever happens to be. 
Um, they are these sort of graceful forest spirits. Uh, they have this verdant energy buzzing around them, and they communicate through something called song, uh, which is not, they don't actually sing at each other with their mouths. <laughs> uh, but again, lately I've been reading a lot of Sylvaneth stuff, and effectively it's this, it's this sort of, um, how to describe it? It's like a, it's a sound so deep that no one else can hear it, but it's this con- this continuous rhythm that thrums throughout anywhere where Sylvaneth lives and where Sylvaneth live and trees flourish. You know, it's it's this it's the subliminal energy of the area and like the rhythm of it, the pattern of it allows mm-hmm. them to communicate over these <clears throat> massive distances. Uh, and currently. It's the war song, obviously, because it's Age of Sigma. Um, <laughs> so they, they've all got to be fighting. And, uh, the, the Sylvaneth themselves are these, these creatures of knotted wood and vine. Um, and they are creatures of nature, first and foremost. So they're an order faction because they are very much against chaos. Uh, but they're not actually that big a fan of civilization building, uh, if it means impinging on forests and the like. Um, (laughs) yeah, uh, they're also not at all true mortals. They're more magical beings than, uh, fleshly, than fleshy creatures. Uh, and they kill any trespassers regardless of allegiance. So, uh, you gotta be, (laughs) you gotta be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the problem is, uh, they don't, they don't put up a lot of signposts. So, uh, If, well, yeah, I suppose that's a bit of a, a bit of a contradiction for them if they did, wouldn't it? Because I suppose, yeah, if yeah. if they're putting up a post, they don't, you know, that's that's part of them, isn't it? Just sort of propping it in, mm. they wouldn't want to do that. No, mm. no, exactly. Well, like that's the thing is, like for people who live in Gairan and in other areas where Sylvaneth have sort of made their home, the problem is, like, you can live somewhere for centuries, and then you go, well, I'll just put a small expansion on the back of the yard, you know, I'll, I'll build a new shed, and suddenly they're burning your house down because you expanded <laughs> five feet into their territory. <laughs> uh, didn't get planning permission. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, back, back during the Age of Myth, they were doing really well for themselves. They sort of expanded all across the realms, all especially all across Gairan, of course, but they spread to all the different realms. Uh, but, you know, the Age of Chaos really, uh, did not help with all of that, <laughs> particularly <laughs> Never Nurgle. helps anyone, does it, really? <laughs> I mean, it helps the Chaos guys. But, well, that's um, true. Yeah. Yeah. Biased. Uh, but, the, yeah, the, uh, the Hordes of Nurgle were a particular problem because, uh, trees, as I'm sure you know, are liable to get ill, as any other living thing is. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, they're making a little bit of a comeback. Right now, uh, in the Age of Sigma, because Alara the Ever Queen's back. Yay. Uh, Yay, she's Sigma back. Sigma helped. Yay, she's back with her big beetle and her really cool model. Uh, oh, it's amazing, uh, isn't it? Uh, like, all the Sylvaness stuff looks really great, as I'm sure you can attest to. You've got a, a box or two around, I believe. Yeah, I've got a few. They're lovely. That's <laughs> that's the thing. That's, it's sort of quality over quantity, I think, with those guys. Mm, mm. Although you've got to buy a lot of woods. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing I haven't got really yet. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that, that's them. They're, they're the the nature loving order faction. They're order not because they like civilization, but because they hate chaos. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. destruction's just as bad, I guess, because orcs love burning everything down. Um. Yeah, some work for them. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we've got a we've got another not quite so good faction. No, we've got some certain daughters of Cain to talk about. Mm. I think, well, I think it's definitely one of our favourite factions, I think, because I think when we spoke, did an episode on them, it was, yeah, 
they're really cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, the Daughters of Cain uh, from Olgu, a uh, I suppose a religious order of uh, matriarchal elves is the um, way to sum them up. Uh, but they do have bases within all parts of society, especially in uh, Azir. Um, basically, in Olgu, they they sort of hide behind masks and misdirection and scheming and uh, especially a certain lady called Marathi. Uh, <laughs> she's particularly prominent in that. Uh, they're basically a group of warrior women who love open war and spilling of blood and sacrifice, um, which makes you think, oh, these are an order faction, really? Um, <laughs> yes, they are. Um, so they get called them. They get called as, Cainites, they sustain themselves from killing and and life stealing magic, and again, it's all about the blood. Like we were saying, you know, it's all about resources. Their resource is blood, um, mm. including drinking it and bathing in the gore. Um, you know, you get they like you often see in other media where it's basically their old crones turning into lovely, gorgeous maidens. You know, with the mm. by <laughs> bathing in this blood, it's uh, oh a lovely sight. So um, some of them were the first to be freed from Sanesh, as we know, um, mm. which were the high priestesses, um, where they're sort of, where they end up not, sort of not hiding. And then instead to sort of counter dealing, dealing with Sanesh, they end up worshiping Cain as, you know, mm. sort of mm. going from one God to another sort of, uh, sort of situation. Um, you've again mentioned in Marathi as well. Um, and effectively she's created, you know, basically created a dynasty of witch elves, uh, who do anything she says. I mean, she's, she's mm. manipulated them, you know, she's, oh, yeah. uh, uh <laughs> terrible for that sort of thing, claiming to be the high Oracle of, of Cain, which has obviously in turn created these sort of, fan, you know, fanatical followers of hers. Mm. Um, and then as part of that, um, the ones that she sort of regards quite highly, they become the Medusae. Um, mm -hmm. But as we know, she's lying to, <laughs> to, to them. <laughs> Cain is all silent. Uh, it's all a front. Mm. You know, but uh, they don't know that. No, of course not. <laughs> exactly. But that's all part of the intrigue. Um, and like you said, as they're one of the Order factions, they've teamed up with Order. Um, and ultimately, it's led to them basically sort of becoming involved in society and quite mainly from a, a gladiatorial point of view. So they, they have a prominent... Mm effect in in the in the in the gladiator arenas and criminal exhibitions um and then it's gained access to this is quite i thought was quite interesting to gain access to mm. like the witch elves for example if you want to see the them fighting with each other mm. or fighting against others that's where you've got to be quite rich to see those yeah, sort of things yeah um and ultimately you're thinking when you're hearing all this you're thinking you know, why is sigmar allowing all this ultimately he's allowing it because he knows he needs a daughter of cain to battle chaos mm. <laughs> it's better it's that old mentality of uh it's better you know better to have them on your side than against you yeah, <laughs> yeah. how he's <laughs> how he summed it up so yeah very cool faction we love mm -hmm. those daughters they are awesome so uh, let's talk about some more elves yeah because th there are a lot of elves in this here age of sigma um a lot of them are recently released elves because we've got oh, the Idenef, deepkin Yay! So there, there are there are other group of elves that go. Why are these guys in order again? Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna say that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, these these guys are sort of a Tyrion and Teclis's initial experiment in recreating ancient elves using souls sucked out of Slanesh. Uh and they are soul hungry raiders that live in the depths of the oceans of the mortal realms. Uh, but they don't see themselves as evil. 
No, of course they're not evil. They're champions of order devoted to overthrowing the dark gods. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, to be fair, I I doubt Ideneth will ever fall to chaos, if only because yeah, of- Yeah, I'd agree. They, they, after the whole Slanesh experience, they know better. Um, they've got this very deep, ingrained hatred- of Slanesh, but that doesn't stop them being creepy as hell. Uh, <laughs> no. They, um, they, they are not only very skilled in uh, stealing souls out of living creatures, but they're also incredibly skilled with memory manipulation magic. Mm-hmm. And so for, you know, years and centuries, there have been these rumors of lightning raids on coastal settlements of entire villages left sleeping, floating in the air, and never to awake again. But, you know... No, no one ever really thought about it that much because <laughs> it, it's those are just rumors. It's 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 coastal trolls, and coastal all that tro- kind of thing. <laughs> uh, with some of the teasers that led up to their release, was sort of city officials writing off potential reports of Ideneth attacks. As mm-hmm. no, no, it's just it's just it's just ocean trolls uh, attacking these settlements. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, if we if we sort of zip backwards to when they were first created. Um, Tyrion and Teclis did their best to take care of them. They taught them, you know, the arcane arts. They taught them science and knowledge of the world that was and everything. And it was all great, but the, there was something wrong with them that Tyrion and Teclis just couldn't fix. There was this deep trauma that couldn't be resolved. Um, and ultimately, they were, you know, considering whether or not to destroy them and the Eidneth who, you know, they want to live. Uh, of course. <laughs> of course they do. Uh, they just, they fled as far as they could. Um, not only from Tyrion and Teclis and the People of Order, but from anything that even remotely resembled chaos worship. And their their sort of end result was they fled deep into the sea, this area where there's no better place to hide from Slanesh because you can't see, you can't hear, you can't even taste anything, you can't smell anything, because it's just crushing darkness and this sort of complete sensory deprivation, which is a, a really cool idea, like, where better to hide from the god of experience and excess? Yeah, um, Yeah, yeah. And, you know, over time they adapted to their environment, they learned to feel vibrations, to sort of get their way around in these sort of minimal glows from lichen and uh, bioluminescent creatures. And they even learned to sort of charm and, you know, dominate the sharks and the various other creatures of the, uh, of the deep sea to use as their mounts. But the, the real big problem for the Eineth is one out of a hundred Eineth are born with a soul. The other 99 die within, you know, less than a year if they are not yep. fed, um, the souls of other sentient beings. And this is why they are these mysterious raiders, because they need those souls to sustain their own population. Uh, they have a really interesting class system. So you have your Namati, which are your soulless Eidneth, um, who are, of course, very eager to go on raids, because once they're old enough to understand, <laughs> they go, yes, I would like to continue living, please. Yes, so please. I will, I will help out <laughs> on the raids. Um <laughs> And uh, the Nomadi also seem to be, like, the most well-adapted. They're the eyeless ones. They're the very pale ones. Uh, then you have your Achilleans, which are sort of the ruling warrior elite. And you have your Isharan, which are the ruling mage elite. And those two classes sort of co-govern most enclaves of the Eidneth. Um You know, they use mind-numbing magic not only on their enemies, but also on themselves to forget... <laughs> 
the whole experience of being inside Slanesh. <laughs> Understandably. Which, yeah, I, I don't blame them. Um, but their, their Tidecasters, who are sort of their specialized mages, are very powerful. They've learned to sort of bring the sea effectively up onto land with this thing called the Ether Sea. Uh, they've learned to manipulate the memories of all these people that see them. Uh, and this is how they conduct their race. They come up out of the ocean in this magical, magical wave, effectively crashing upon their enemies and then retreating before anyone's able to understand exactly what has happened. Um, <laughs> and they, they did a great job of it. For centuries, no one knew about them except Tyrion and Teclas. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was, you know, eventually, you know, someone found out whether it was chaos following them back, you know, a, a keeper of secrets spilling the beans on some weird elves he found, or whether it was the uh, the Skaven draining an entire sea by accident. Um, oh, Skaven. <laughs> oh, Skaven. <laughs> Who knows? But they're out in the open now and people are beginning to understand that they exist. Um, but they, too, are necessary because they are fierce battlers of chaos. Um <laughs> Again, it's just like the daughters is like, there are these very weird, very creepy elves around, but (laughs) goddammit, we need more people to fight, (laughs) you know? Do you hate chaos? Yes, you're in. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only prerequisite for the faction. Exactly, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Ah, we do like those deep, Ken. They are cool. Mm -hmm. Very cool Mm -hmm. indeed. Um, Talking of very cool, one of my Mm. favourite factions, um, I do like the Seraphon. I think they're a really cool faction. They're more than just reptiles. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> don't you judge them. Um, so <laughs> if I had to summarize them, they're anti-chaos lizard men from the stars. <laughs> That's a sentence, isn't it? Uh, which yeah, is true. Yeah. Uh, brought down by the Slan, which are these sort of big toad-like uh, mm. star masters that, uh, that basically run their race, run their faction. So, you know, if you had to picture it, you know, you've got a squat, spindly-armed creature on a floating platform who yeah. then croaks a command, and then all these lizardmen just beam down from the sky. Mm-hmm. Almost Stormcast-like, but not. Um, ah. So, you know, yeah. So, you know, they're like the lizardmen of old. They've, you know, got huge jaws. They use bone weapons, heavy clubs. But, like I said, the, the great concept is, like I said, they're beamed down by starlight, you know, and in, yeah. in, in, in sort of in hoots for that you've got the uh the skink troops which are the sort of the little mm-hmm. smaller lizard side side of things you know they've got mm-hmm. winged troops they've got huge dinosaur creatures like stegodons and bastilodons you know yeah. really cool yeah really, some very cool units um the slan again or as i was alluding to a second ago they use celestial magic to destroy demons because like i said they're very mm. very very anti-chaos like so we're talking about these other factions like the deep kin and the daughters <laughs> who are anti-chaos these are very very anti-chaos <laughs> that's arguably, what they were made you know, for yeah. yeah exactly you know they're sort of almost storm you know almost on the level of stormcast where like they're like you said they're made <laughs> to fight chaos mm. um but what's quite cool with them is once victory is done the seraphon vanish into the air never to be seen mm. well, never to be seen again until the next <laughs> battle <laughs> Which is really cool. Uh, their empires are in the highest parts of Azir, um, and there's sort of different uh, sort of thoughts on this. They got sort of so, 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 yeah, just get my words out. Certain human philosophers believe they are the children of Jacothian, uh, awakened by by his breath, or they often sometimes get said that he, they're his tears. Um, mm. The elves believe that from time to time they're sort of they're, sorry, not time to time they're 
they believe they're from another time, I should say, mm. um, which which, sort of, which they sort of are, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. commanded by the Slan, which they are indeed. Uh, others say they've got sort of world traveling vessels uh, mm. and fought chaos in other realities, and then others say that they're formed by raw emotion, which is the from beasts basically. Which I think, to mm. be honest, it's probably a combination of these different things, really. Yeah, um, yeah. Like we, we see some interesting stuff. Like uh, one of the final malign portent stories showed that they are actual physical creatures still like they have spawning mm-hmm. pools uh, but they also do have spaceships so uh yes <laughs> and nothing's cooler than spaceships oh so. i mean there's something <laughs> cooler than spaceships and that's aztec lizards piloting the spaceship <laughs> spaceships, yeah <laughs> exactly um so they're sort of formed into star hosts which can be dropped from meteors um mm-hmm. which they may not always fight chaos but will always it always takes priority for them. So they may mm. fight other races. They may get involved against death and destruction, for example. But ultimately, if chaos is the one they're fighting, they're like, yep, sign me up, please. Mm. So, oh, yeah. and it's quite, and it's quite interesting because the slan sort of treat it as like a game of chess, basically the way they're sort of, <laughs> they're not stupid. <laughs> they're not, because mm. again, I think that's quite, you know, clear thing to, so they're not mindless reptile type no, humanoid no. beasts. They're, they're very, they they know what they're doing. They're, they're cleverer. Uh, faction especially the slan um and again they what you often see them doing is teaming up with the stormcast eternals because again mm. that very common theme they both hate chaos and are both bred and <laughs> built to fight them so you'll see them often fighting side by side so yeah anti-chaos lizard men from the stars love yeah them. yeah pretty <laughs> awesome That's uh it. Yeah, uh, last faction for order is the free peoples and this this basically gets summed up as Everyone else. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, just there you so, go. Uh, have a few pages. Just, yeah. I think it's just sum, just sum them up. I think it's probably yeah, the yeah. easiest way. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you some quick summary. So we've got the Dispossessed, uh, which are effectively dwarven refugees. Uh, they're the dwarves that didn't become fire slayers, that didn't get up into the sky with the Caradron. They had to leave their homes, and they are the artisans, the guys who love to build, they love to create. Mm-hmm. But they have to build and create these new homes, which is what they're really angry about. Uh, they got a grudge and an axe to grind. <laughs> uh, there are the Devoted of Sigma, which are basically fanatics <laughs> dedicated to Sigma. Um, you know, uh, their basic troops are literally flagellants, the guys yep. in stocks whipping themselves. Um, <laughs> but they are also the priests of Sigma, the, um, the sort of the, the grand arch lectors that ride these massive war altars into battle mm-hmm. and everything. They, they sort of go around preaching Sigma's good word, be- burning heretics and witches, uh, all the good stuff. Sounds familiar. Um, yeah, uh, they also have the witch hunters in their mm-hmm. ranks, yep. uh, who are more properly known as the Order of Azir, and they are there to root out secretive chaos taint within uh, mm-hmm. all the realms. Uh, there are the free guilds, which are sort of mercenaries and um, city guard, effectively. They're, they're mm-hmm. your everyman army. <laughs> There's the Iron Weld Arsenal, which is everyone with a gun. Uh, it's dwarves <laughs> and humans working together <laughs> to... with a gun. <laughs> yeah, it, it's dwarves and humans no, it's working... It's yeah, yeah, it's dwarves and humans working together to sort of build artillery and handgun units. And siege tanks and things like siege that, Siege yeah. tanks and everything to, you know, give them an edge because everyone else is a demon or, you know, a giant orc or an undead skeleton. We're just normal people. <laughs> uh, we need the help. <laughs> Um, there's the Collegiate Arcane, which are all the human wizards and sorcerers. 
um, who are sort of just trying to figure out what to do with all this magic all over the place. Uh, slightly above them are the Eldritch Council, which are all the elven mages who have, mm-hmm. you know, been sort of personally tutored by Tyrion and Teclis, uh, in the ways of magic. And it's also their sword, uh, master escort. So elves who use great swords, always cool. Uh, there's the Phoenix Temple, who sort of are a warrior conclave dedicated to a god beast known as the Ur Phoenix, which is pretty cool. Uh, so just a massive burning phoenix. Um, these guys are sort of temple guards. They also ride flame or frost phoenixes into battle, mm-hmm. which is really yep. awesome. Uh, line rangers are another elven unit that most of these are going to be elves, by the way. They're all the yeah. elves that <laughs> yeah. got split up. Um, <laughs> the, the line rangers are a sort of a faction of rangers that sort of hunt, uh, through that, well, that through the age of myth hunted the mountains around Azaheim and in particular hunted lions. Um, they really don't like chaos. Uh, the Order Draconis is, uh, elves that are figured out how to control dragons and horses that wear dragon armor, uh, because... Uh, why not? Why not? Yeah. Uh, they're cool guys. Swifthawk agents are sort of the, the messaging service, the postal service, you could say, of the model realms. <laughs> um, they're these nimble elven messengers who, for the most part, ride chariots pulled by giant eagles, which is pretty damn cool. Um, but they also have sort of shadowy rangers called shadow warriors, uh, that can sort of sneak by to send messages in more dangerous areas and that kind of thing. Then you have scourge privateers who are elves of a somewhat darker view of the world who decided to become pirates and beast hunters. Uh, they are really awesome. It's, it's like you said, I can't say dark elves for legal reasons. So for legal reasons. Elves of a darker type. Elves of a darker type. Um, yeah, uh, these these guys are great, though. They capture beasts and sell them for money in gladiator arenas and things, and they can also bring those beasts to war themselves. They capture uh, the Charybdis and Hydras and things like that. Uh, the Darkling Covens are these sort of elven subcultures that just kind of exist on the edge of most cities. They ju- they're just kind of there to help out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they all act as one, which is really creepy. Um, the the thing is, like, it's it's just all these spearmen and all these crossbowmen, and it, in the middle of it all, it's just this one sorceress, and they're all acting as this one unit. Um, <laughs> which <laughs> is... There's this super organized, weird elf cult kind of thing. Uh, Shadowblades yeah. are elven assassins. Uh, the Order Serpentis is sort of the, the crueler version of the Order Draconis. They are elves who have tamed, uh, sort of riding drakes, cold ones, basically, but they've also tamed black dragons. Uh, yeah. they, you know, they have dragon, uh, they have drake spawn chariots and that kind of thing. Uh, wanderers are effectively, uh, effectively the people who used to, uh, work with Alario. Uh, they kind of- Formerly known as the Wood Elves. <laughs> formerly known as the Wood Elves. Um, they were sort of split off during the Age of Chaos and now trace paths along, uh, way, uh, along ley lines and waystones back to hidden lands. Um, their betrayal in the Age of Chaos was they abandoned Gyran and fled to Azir, basically. Nice. Um, and that's why Alariel doesn't want anything to do with them anymore. Cause they left her all alone. Understandably. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the forces of order, guys. Yeah. There's, well, there's summarize there. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Excellent. Let's let's move to chaos. Let's see what those guys yeah. are up to. 
Oh, yeah. Let's start. <laughs> let's start with the ever chosen. So mm-hmm. the ever chosen are led by a certain individual known as Archeon. Archeon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone pronounce it. Um, Archeon, the exalted Grand Marshal of the Apocalypse. What a title! Oh. What a title! The Destroyer of Worlds. Yeah, he's yeah. got he's got a few titles. This lad. Um, I mean, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's very true. I mean, he is one of my favourite characters in all of, well, Age of Sigmar slash mm. Warhammer Fantasy. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he is cool. Uh, the most powerful of all mortal champions, the supreme leader of Chaos Host, and caused the end of the world that was. You know, mm. only a little thing yeah. he just did there. You know, just yeah, that just little, little thing. Little, yeah. You know, <laughs> just put it on my CV. Now And now, obviously now... He's taken that same mentality into the mortal realms, um, mm. and you know he, he he's he's just <laughs> yeah the personification of badass, especially with his sword, which is the uh, oh, yeah. Slayer of Kings, which <laughs> like I said alluded to as a as a demon in it, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. can take over huge drakes <laughs> as well. It's it's yeah, apparently. it's a very <laughs> apparently yes. Well, you know, it's what we get told. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. uh, you basically. The, the the really cool thing about Archaon as well is he is neutral as well because basically mm. you know he leads the ever chosen into battle as the chaos gods can't be in uh, a physical form and the generals mm. don't last long due to obviously the the waxing and waning of the realms and time mm. and space magical energy etc <laughs> so that's why he is the chosen of chaos and he, he's he's got the he's sort of in a win win situation because he mm. has all their gifts but then he doesn't answer to any of them he is sort of chaos neutral, chaos undivided. Um, he's basically the ultimate champion due to his well, evil, cunning, manipulation and planning and things like that. So that's what I always find quite cool about him as well, is he's not mm. just a badass warrior who just kills lots of yeah, <laughs> enemies. Yeah. He's actually a very clever and strategic one. Um, well, like mm. when we covered earlier, we were talking about um, how he managed to you know, did an illusion of himself to trick Sigmar into losing Galmaraz mm. for a while. Yeah, know, that yeah. sort of thing. Really, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. I mean, to be, let's be honest. He, like I said, he managed to cause the end of the world that was. So he knows mm. what he's doing. This guy. Um, oh yeah, and and so much so that he's he's got so powerful that the Chaos Gods have, have tried to take him out <laughs> at times. You know, they, they've actually tried because they, they're sort of a bit worried mm. that ultimately he will get so powerful that he'll be able to take the, over from the Chaos Gods, which is mm. a, an amazing concept if that was ever a yeah, thing to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, why not? I mean, how he's man- what he's managed to do <laughs> in mm. his back back catalogue of of uh, history you know i wouldn't you know it's who knows yeah, something yeah. that may happen one day so yeah he's yeah he's he's awesome um like <laughs> so they try to take him out because obviously also they're worried as well that he may defect to the other side as well not that i'd mm. see that happening but because um, no. he's because he plays by his own rules ultimately so um there's also a rumour that uh, Archeon bent the knee to Sigmar in their former lives, in their formal sort of mortal lives. Uh, mm. But he learned the truth and vowed to take him out from there and onwards. Ooh. <laughs> um, all generals and troops bow to him or else <laughs> is, the, mm. is the way, oh, as you'd yeah. imagine. He, he, you know, you have to have 100% loyalty to him or you're going to die. Um, his sort of elite troops is the, uh, the Varangard lieutenants, which are really cool. Lovely models as well even now because they're quite a bit older now but they they look awesome and uh, like i said earlier he has a, a big use of using the the zinch gaunt summoners as well that's sort of his two mm. sort of main backup 
um, sort of troops underneath him, which he uses a lot. The uh, the Vanguard, they're basically the greatest champions who passed trials to, to get into that sort of uh, <laughs> that mm. sort of position, and basically become his sort of there is enforcers, so to speak. Um, they do they do a lot of his dirty work <laughs> behind the scenes. Um, so they're they're effectively shock cavalry um, with yeah. chaos weapons, and they're organised into eight circles. Um, but then ultimately, they're not always just sort of shock cavalry sometimes they end up being assassins or punishing uh enemies of uh, of archaeon mm. you know they're in in a way they're sort of to me they come across like a bit like the adeptus custodes out of 40k you know where mm. they're sort of yeah. underneath you know obviously they're working on behalf of the emperor but they're doing they're not just fighting they're doing some dirty work yeah. behind the scenes a bit of investigation yeah, yeah. assassination that's the way you got to look at these they're sort of doing a similar role for archaeon um mm. a, Going back to the uh, the Gaunt Summoners, again, they're Sorcerers of Zinch. Uh, they bow to Archaon, um, ultimately, because he knows their real name. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so uh, they're like, oh, better do what he says. And again, yeah. they act as the spies and messengers, um, and he uses their powers to warp reality so he can gain an advantage in many different ways as well. So mm, yeah. um, his sort of main... Uh, where he's uh, his sort of main fortress is the Varenspire Fortress, uh, which dominates the eight points. Um, and basically, it's a collection of citadels. Um, but <laughs> funny enough, a bit similar to uh, Sanesh and his realm, he hasn't been there for a while because he's too mm. busy fighting. Yeah. Which, again, which is why I like about him as well. As well as him being clever and being ultra-powerful, he's not one of those evil lords that's just on the throne, just twiddling his thumbs, getting other people to do stuff. He's out there on the front line mm. getting stuff done. So yeah, 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 he is yeah. badass. He's pretty so, cool. He is indeed. Um, but you know, he he can't get by on just Varengard and Gorn Summoners. No, alone. he can't. You need, you need legions to be a proper Chaos Lord, mm-hmm. and um, the slaves to darkness are where you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, these guys are essentially the generic. Let's say well, there's not that much generic about them. Um, mortal followers of Chaos. Yeah. They are. They are people who raise shrines, the Chaos Gods. They, you know, they want to destroy the model realms for their own gain. Uh, to join the ranks of them, a warrior needs only to dedicate himself to one or all of the Chaos Gods. You know, so, you know, you could worship Chaos Undivided, you could worship Korn or Solanash or Zinch or Nurgle, as long, I guess maybe even the Great Horned Rat, technically, as long as you are willing to fight for Chaos. Uh, some of them freely choose this, but a lot of them are sort of tricked into damnation and sort of fall into madness and devote themselves to the gods that way. In you know, Or they even do it to try and survive when slaves to darkness come and destroy their city and say, no, 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 I'll worship chaos with you guys. Um, <laughs> hey, just give me a badge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and sort of because of the recent events of the Age of Chaos, their numbers are at an all-time high. Uh, it was a great recruitment drive, everyone. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, the, the the really appealing thing about Slave Stunk is that anyone can make it to the top, back, do enough backstabbing, uh, kill mm-hmm. the right people, uh, slaughter the right villages, pillage the right temples, and people will hear about it and people will come to sort of swear themselves to your cause, and the horde will slowly grow, uh, grow on these tales of glorious slaughter until all of a sudden you're this powerful warlord. It's great. Uh, it even comes with a rewards program where the more the more messed up stuff you do, the more the chaos gods 
sort of pay attention to you, although in this case it's less pay attention, more accidentally looks your way for half a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they, they do all this in the hopes of for the briefest of moments catching the eye of one of the gods. Um, and, you know, the rewards can be great. You do well enough, you could become a demon prince, for example. You could ascend and become an immortal being. But for everyone who sort of rises to that fabled position, hundreds or even countless others uh, sort of buckle under the weight of the gifts of the Chaos Gods. They go through surges of freakish mutation and end up becoming Chaos Spawn. Uh, the, the terrifying things. Um... But basically, uh, no no matter what dangers they face, there's always going to be more of these guys. Because at the end of the day, everyone gets a suit of armor, everyone gets a weapon, and everyone gets a god to pray to. It's all you can want. Exactly, that's this a time fair deal. Exactly. <laughs> Lovely package it's, holiday. Yeah. Uh, it's better to wear the iron-shod boot of the oppressor than to be the weak and terrified victim ground beneath its tread. <laughs> what a great piece of writing. God, this is exactly. such a good book. True words. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Right. Let's let's continue this chaos train and let's uh, stop in at Corn Station. So I want to go to that station. Uh, so Corn, the blood god, otherwise known as Carneth yeah. or Korgar or Kasherin the Sky Splitter. So again, he's got many. He's like uh, Archaeon. He's got lots of different names. Yeah. yeah. Um, with the, the hordes of Corn are known as Blades of Corn as well. That's what they're known as. And as we know, he's a raging god of anger and bloodshed and killing. <laughs> but to be fair to him, he rewards those, you know, that uh, do that sort of thing, especially people that are, or his followers that are brave and that are looking to seek conquest as well. So mm. even though he's seen as this god of slaughter and killing, it's also about bravery as well. That's actually quite yeah. a key thing. It's like about dueling and things like that. It's not just about just killing stuff quickly just for the sake of it. It's also how you do it as well to a, to a degree. So yeah. his yeah. followers hunt skulls to offer to him because he loves his skulls. Uh, so they're <laughs> killing everywhere and anywhere and everywhere to impress him. Similar to what you were saying about the, mm. the slaves of darkness. They're like, look, look, Corn, look what I've done for you. <laughs> so his portray his portrayed image is a a dog headed extremely muscled giant, uh, yeah. ang angry because he's always angry uh, in uh, plate mail, <laughs> sitting on a huge brass throne on top of a mountain of bloody skulls. Lovely picture. That's uh, pretty but good. the <laughs> it's, it's again proper metal. There's a the, there's a god you can believe in. Exactly there's strength. <laughs> exactly do you know what he is a he is actually thinking about it. he is a very good god because mm. he's sort of he's win-win from his perspective because again he doesn't care if he loses sometimes because ultimately as long as blood mm. is getting spilled he's he's ultimately he's the he's the moral victor <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day and like i said he is yeah he is very metal indeed so mm. uh what was i was gonna say he yeah so Going back to the the bloody skulls, these are offerings of and victims, but they and it keeps rising. The amount of skulls, mm, he's just there yeah. constantly. He's just like, whoa, I've got so many under my feet here. Um, so much so, you've got his flesh hounds that are gnawing at new ones, but it's <laughs> never enough for just just yeah. never enough skulls. Uh, Akshi uh, has been conquered in the name of corners, which we've said before, mm -hmm. uh, but worshippers. Or elsewhere as well. It's not just in you know, there. That's just a, a prominent area. Uh, sometimes under different names. Um, and it says actually quite funnily as well. It's maybe even Cain, which is uh, mm. quite an interesting concept as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
not many he doesn't really have any temples or not many temples <laughs> because there's not really need for corn temples to be honest. you're not mm. if you're not out fighting you're not worshiping him he doesn't want you just praying you know in front of a an altar that doesn't work for for our boy corn nah. it doesn't nah. work so killings worship worship spilling blood i blood mm. for the blood god skulls for the skull throne very exactly. famous words indeed. Exactly. <laughs> right, I'm going to say this properly because every time I try and say this, I always get the say the wrong thing. Blood bound, not blood yep, born, because yep. I keep saying that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, they have a, a very intricate warrior code. <laughs> Basically, keep spilling blood regardless of who. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. nice and simple. That's what you do. Um, you know, they don't believe, and corn as well doesn't believe in spell casting because. Um, no, no. No, you don't do that. You get you get in their face. You do it properly. Um, and as I alluded to before, loves jewels and feats of skill. You know, it's it's not it's also it's not just how you you know what you're doing. It's how you do it as well. Um, yeah. So in their ranks, they don't have wizards, but they do have slaughter priests. Um, which one of their key things is to boil the blood of their enemy to help you know sort of buff <laughs> them basically and carry on that killing. Uh, what's next? So yeah, so just keep killing. Um, because as not killing is a waste. I love that mentality. <laughs> if you're not there killing, you're, you're wasting your time. So just keep killing. Yeah. yeah. Um, which then has sort of t- turned the followers of corn into very sort of skilled survivors. Um, because mm. ultimately that's what happens. That's where a lot of their ranks come from because ultimately they'll take over a place. There'll be certain survivors left and it's basically a, a join or die mentality. You know, if you want to be mm. part of our club, you know, which is quite good. It's, I think it's, you know, it's not, in some ways, sometimes when you see chaos, you're thinking they're, they're just going to wipe everyone out. But at times, they'll go right. You know, you're you're pretty good. You've managed to you've managed to survive us fighting you and killing all your <laughs> friends. So <laughs> you must be pretty handy with a sword. So yeah, come yeah, along with us. Yeah. So it basically keeps them topped up, <laughs> in a manner <laughs> of speaking. So um, and corn especially likes those who sacrifice their friends and allies for killing as well, which mm-hmm. is quite nasty, but. You know, that's what he likes. I mean, no. um, yeah. And on top of that, he hates those who don't follow through with execution as well. So no, mm. you've got you to finish the job. No, none of this half. Don't, don't give them a flesh wound. You kill them. You do it properly. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't care. As long as that blood's flowing, that's all we want. So um, the going, talking about the, the blood bound, it's, it's a, the army is a, is a bloodthirsty sight. So if anyone's witnessed or mm. had the, the misfortune of uh, dealing with them, it is just a... A bloody mess of crazy warriors charging at you. You got the the blood mm. craters with their blood dripping banners. You got the um, and the longer their blades are sheathed, the worse the violence that's about to erupt out of them. <laughs> um, you've you know then they're led by lords of corn, which sends their army into battle, which is like I said, a wall of angry steel and warriors. Um, <laughs> and when it comes to corn demons, which are very iconic as well, um, they they basically arrive when there's been a lot of bloodshed. They, that's yeah. when they uh, yeah. they turn up because it's basically it's a projection of corn's rage to to you and in turn that's why they use their blades uh the most common of all the corn demons as we know is the blood letters which is the mm. long-limbed ones with the great swords uh the most favored sit on juggernauts uh, or a demon mm. steed or sometimes chariots and even in some cases live in cannons but the worst of all are the the really iconic ones which are the bloodthirsters the, which are basically mm. the greater do- uh, greater demons with giant wings so yeah yeah they are super cool they're cool i mean corn is what you see is what you get yeah yeah <laughs> no, no mucking around it's no zinch <laughs> well actually talking uh, of zinch yeah talking of mucking around and zinch 
Um, so Zinch is the changer of the ways. He's flux embodied. He's this god of change and hope in the future. Um, and he's also the god of destiny, intrigue, history, magic, tricks, and subterfuge. Sort of changes essential to chaos. So Zinch actually has a pretty strong claim on anyone who worships chaos. You know, you can imagine the door to door knocking, you know, corn knocks on the door. Ah, blood. And then Zinch knocks on the door. It's like, you understand that the essence of chaos is exactly me. Everything shifts and changes. Would you like me to come in and explain this to you for five minutes? And then suddenly you've signed onto a mailing list. Um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, uh, he, he's he's got the best PR out of all the gods, perhaps. Um, <laughs> it's PR, right, yeah. Mm, yeah, uh, and Zinch has a thousand names and faces. The only constant is his inconstancy, uh, <laughs> which is oh, right, okay. always fun. Yeah, uh, he's a subtle manipulator. He knows everything. He knows every trivial seed of hate in a person's heart, just as he knows the ultimate fate of every star in the cosmos. He has these long, convoluted, and vast plans, um, so everything is always going according to plan, even if he loses, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he doesn't always guide people's lives towards a specific end um, for any particular reason, but sometimes he does it just because he enjoys manipulation, you know? <laughs> yeah, fair uh, point. Yeah. Uh, he, he really doesn't have a single physical form uh, that anyone's ever been able to describe, at least. He usually manifests as this cloud of magical light that constantly changes color. Uh, all hail the glow, ca- glow cloud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, usually, if he does take a shape before any of his worshippers, his skin crawls with all these changing faces that leer and mock anyone looking at them. And when he speaks, the faces repeat exactly what he says but with these subtle but very important differences um you, you know you might say don't worry i won't turn you into a spawn and the little face on them repeats don't worry i probably won't turn you into a spawn <laughs> <laughs> yeah um his head in this form is a puckered frowning thing in in his chest rather than atop his shoulders and he has these horns springing from his shoulders um, and just, just existence around him is heavy with winds of magic, like liquid smoke that weave between each other. Uh, basically anyone who looks on him sort of glimpses infinity and risks going insane because he, he's incomprehensible. Oh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's pretty cool. Um, yes. <laughs> so his worshippers, the mortal ones are Zinch Arcanites, uh, because Zinch is the master of magic, a lot of people who study magic inevitably end up falling into his clutches. And, you know, people who honor him with superior magical fo- powers often find his gifts. Uh, the slighted, the desperate, and the sly, though, all embrace his creed, asking for predominance over their rivals as they sort of plan and scheme and do all these kinds of things that Zinch just loves. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot of his worshippers are horrifically mutated because again change is the essence of chaos let me let me mold you my servants yeah, keep them guessing um yeah yeah but also a lot of them can change their appearance willingly again physical transformation is what you want to do um the the sort of the most otherworldly of his of his servants are a kind of beast man known as zangors who are sort of exceptional warriors and also very good mages uh, in certain cases, mm-hmm. they're sort of cunning leaders, lethal fighters, and their shamans command chiric acolytes, which are 
models into worship worshippers that haven't been turned into something completely unrecognizable <laughs> yet. Um, uh, when he's in the ascendant, all his warriors can react to a few different, a few dozen different futures all at the same time. So they sort of, if Zinch is feeling is if Zinch is having a good day, suddenly all his champions are like, oh well, if I do this, this will happen. But if I do that, that will happen. Let's pick, uh, <laughs> let's pick path, let's pick path E. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh they're they're also all very fond of magical fire. Um <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Uh now Zinch's demons are all pretty interesting. They're these they're basically these blobs of constantly flowing flesh and magical energy with beaks and claws and multicolored feathers. Uh this sort of kaleidoscope of colour designed to confuse and disorient people who look on them. Uh, and they constantly eject this deadly warp fire. Um, they don't burn targets, this warp fire, but it actually horrifically mutates them, uh, until they eventually are mutated into a scorched corpse, <laughs> which is, <laughs> it doesn't burn you right up until the end when it burns you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, but honestly, the, the worst thing about them, uh, this is speaking about the horrors specifically, is, uh, they don't die when you kill them, uh, they just split in half into two little ones, sort of <laughs> bent on revenge, which is cute, but very scary. Um, yes. And, and now with Age of Sigma 2nd edition TM, uh, with summoning not costing points. Uh oh. That's really easy to do. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, we've got these capering horrors of Zinch. We've got your blues and your pinks and your brimstones, uh, not in that order. Uh, <laughs> um, only the most capricious and mischievous of these are trusted enough to become heralds, which is ironic. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, uh, sort of commanding the demonic hosts are the lords of change with the, which are these massive bird sorcerers who are really cool again. Um, and they command like flamers, which are essentially funnels of warp fire and screamers, which are swooping manta ray demons. Um, and you know, the appearance of one of these hosts is often the result of some drastic change in the ebb and flow of a battle. Uh, you know, an all-conquering hero might suddenly find himself a mewling idiot. A safe haven might become a death trap, or a courageous last stand might become a panic route. These are the things that amuse and interest Zinch. He thrives on irony and cruel twists of fate. He's pretty. He's pretty cool. He's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go. Let's go to a different spectrum of the uh, chaos mm -hmm. gods. Mm -hmm. Let's go to old grandfather Nurgle. Everyone's favourite. Old Papa's farm. <laughs> a farm where it's, it's all pus and pestilence. Mm -mm -mm. So, Nurgle, the god of plague, pestilence, disease, the lord of decay, or sometimes otherwise known as Nurglitch, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. I'm suffering with a Nurglitch in the system. <laughs> <laughs> Onegol or uh, Ninglen. Uh, which is really cool. Some interesting sounding names there. Yeah, spreads plague, which causes mortal to pray for help. Help us, Papa mm. Nurgle. Help us with this pestilence. <laughs> but obviously, yeah. that comes at a very big cost. Mm -hmm. So uh, he's you know, the lord. He, he's the lord of all things, uh, in some manner of speaking. He's always because there's always ultimately there's always something physical to corrupt. You know, no matter what mm. age it is, whether it's the age of Sigma, chaos, myth, what the realms, the world that was, there's always something to corrupt. So yeah, ultimately, yeah. He, Nurgle will go forever. 
So he, you know, to see, he's seen as the counter to the other gods of life, nature. You know, mm-hmm. he's seen as a jovial god. Um, that's why he's yeah. called Father or Grandfather Nurgle to his fathers, um, which I think is a lovely concept. I mean, he's always great how they, how they yeah. sort of refer to him as. Um, he's, I love the he's big this, old happy family. Exactly. It's like, you know, we're spreading disease, but let's have a smile on our face as we do it. You know, that's, that's why not? Um, mm. He's he's basically, a, I suppose, a combination of disease and energy. Because that's mm. the thing with, and that's what's yeah. quite funny with Nurgle as well, is that because it's all, you know, bloatedness and, and things like that, mm. pestilence, it's always seen like it's everything's going to be slow and lethargic, when it actually isn't. Mm. It, like I said earlier, mm. when it's all like, it's like the Nurgle, circus and carnivals come to time you know because ultimately there is you know the the demons and troops which is the uh the rock mm. bringers they they're always you know smiling and laughing as they're bringing the chaos <laughs> with them which makes them you know really you know, a really cool bunch to be hanging around with yeah in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it ultimately love it's, it's bizarre saying these things but loves life you know whether they're tainted or mm. not just just loves life um yeah, yeah. yeah so like i was alluding to rock bringers they're his warriors. They're very hard, as you usually expect. They're very hard to kill with mortal weapons. You know, they're immune to pain and disease because obviously they've just built up so much resistance. And obviously, because Nurgle's interve- intervening and and you mm. know, bringing their wounds back to you know back to full health, so to speak. Uh, mm. You know, Nurgle keep you know keeps them together when wounded, literally, <laughs> or glue them, bind them back together. So uh, mm. you've got an axe in your shoulder. Ah, never mind. Ah, Back fine. together. There you go. <laughs> so you know the armies of Nurgle are extremely horrible uh, for the for their enemies because there's this cl- massive buzzing clouds of flies and pus and sores. Mm. Uh, and and like I said added with the laughing as they're arriving. Just you know provides <laughs> this very unsettling <laughs> concept for the enemies of Nurgle to deal with. Uh, when it yeah. comes to the demons, um, the most iconic ones are the uh, great unclean ones, are the big mm-hmm, boys, mm-hmm. Uh, which Definitely. are huge bloated demons with boils and sores. Um, they, so they've got a cloud of demon flies circling around them. Um, it's quite interesting mm-hmm. that the, 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 each fly has got the Nurgle symbol on its back as well. Um, <laughs> someone must have taken that, put it under a microscope. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got you know these these great unclean ones. They've got organs spilling out of them. You know, here's a here's some intestine for yeah it doesn't matter <laughs> and then obviously that leads to like little little nurgle demons demons which are called nurglings dropping out at the same time you know add, mm. similar to uh, what you're saying about zinch where you know the uh the demons are you know the pinks are turning into the blues so you, you got this yeah, <laughs> yeah. situation we've got these big huge bloated ones with little demons dripping out Ugh. um <laughs> Uh, which are these giggling, laughing little mini demons. And then obviously the other mm. main demon is the plague bearer, which uh, sort of similar to what they do in 40K where they count, well, the tally men of 40K where they count mm. disease. Because um, obviously, you know, Nurgle likes good administration in this. You know, he he's, yeah. he doesn't yeah. just, just pay, you know, plague and pestilence. He wants to keep the books in order as well. Count, count those diseases, um, mm. which is sort of led to this... <laughs> Cool concept about Nurgle that he's a very generous god. Ultimately, mm. you know, he he loves his children. You know, that's what that's why yeah. he's Papa Nurgle. You know, he gives them all, all these lovely plague sore like gifts. Mm-mm-mm. So yeah, that's Nurgle for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, our last great chaos god. Uh, I love your horned rat, but you're not one of the big four. Not, not yet. yet. Um, proved yourself <laughs> yet. Yeah, is Slanesh the Dark Prince? Um, he's 
he's the youngest of the four greater chaos gods. Um, but e- even if he's in a little bit of a sorry state right now, all sort of bound up in between two realms, he's still worshipped pretty much everywhere. Uh, he's the he's known often as the Lord of Pleasure, but he's actually the patron of excess in all things. Uh, doesn't doesn't have to be enjoyable things. You could like uh we like we discussed with Eldar chicken farmers. You could just the excess of owning as many things as possible. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he's the master of luxury and creative power. He influences music, art, and passion, but also sadism, perversion, and cruelty. He's the embodiment of indulgence in all its fa- in all its forms, and is found wherever discipline bows to temptation and virtue falls to vice. Um, Slash is supposedly divinely beautiful and alluring with this aura of charm that can leave a mortal smitten for eternity. Um, depicted in artwork and verse as this sort of radiant, slender colossus, male on one side and female on the right, with a subtly disturbing voice that can bind you like a spider binds a fly. Slanesh <laughs> loves to tease the souls of his enemies from their bodies, even as they gaze with adoration and longing into his lustrous eyes. So, uh, so quite a fun god. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> One way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, he has his own vices, and uh, after the destruction of the world that was, he felt a bit peckish, you know? Um, and so, uh, <laughs> num, num, he, num, num. He, he ate, and he ate, and he ate, and he ate, and he ate, because there was this big banquet of elf souls just hanging around for the taking. <laughs> um, he just didn't, he didn't want an elf sandwich. He wanted a, mm. an elf buffet. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, he's been missing for a bit, though, because in that sorry state, he was caught by the various elven gods, and they've been slowly but surely pulling souls out of him bit by bit. Uh, but it's not a perfect process, and, uh, there's always the risk that he'll break free eventually. Um, especially now that he actively wants to get free due to the threat of Nagash. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, all his devotees have uh, have been a little out of whack ever since yeah. he went missing because they, they don't worship him just because they enjoy pleasure and the thrill of the hunt, but they also do it for personal gain. Uh, the reason you worship a chaos god is because you want to get cool powers. And, um, that's, that's kind of hard to come by when Slanesh isn't able to actually just hand them out. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, hope they kept their receipt. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't hope wanna... they kept their receipt. <laughs> This chaos god doesn't work. <laughs> this chaos god doesn't work. I want a refund on these 10,000 souls I sacrificed. <laughs> uh, um, but Solanesh is worshipped in a lot of the free cities, uh, in particular places like Hammerhall, Aksha, uh, where indulgence in every whim is sort of this clandestine thing that everyone's secretly into basically um you know he's an addictive god and people who follow him quickly sort of get overcome by pride arrogance and excess he preys on moral weaknesses watching greedily through half-shut eyes as play as his playthings fall from grace uh or basically he he just enjoys watching people slowly slide down into his grip he's not a forceful god he's not like corn again he won't just bash down your door and demand that you worship him slash is willing to wait for you you know take it at your own pace (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um but yeah he comes with a free trial (laughs) comes with a free trial uh but if you do the trial uh there's no backing out uh (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) signed up for life yeah, exactly. Uh, so his his followers sort of form these massive hosts, these decadent hosts, uh, who are always 
always in uh always led by this very charismatic and powerful leader of course uh their followers adore them and sort of spread the word about this this total hottie leading the army uh you should totally come join us uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and you know as he gets as the champion gets more and more worshippers they sort of become more and more self-absorbed and they begin to slowly but surely lose what makes them human um, and, you know, the more otherworldly he becomes, the more his followers are sort of intrigued by him. They, they get really excited by this prospect because he's becoming something new and beautiful and interesting. Um, and they slip, you know, deeper and deeper into depravity until they're sort of reborn as a beautiful but cruel tyrant. Uh, they're these marvelous glittering hosts with long, elegant banners proclaiming the glory of the Lord of the Host and sort of their pledge to Slanesh. Uh, the warriors have all these tattoos and piercings of obscene sigils and runes that hurt the naked eye. They wear these fine silks and f- carefully flayed skins across polished armor. Uh, they sort of stalk and glide across the battlefield with this languid, unhurried grace. They have these long tongues flickering to taste the air for senses of fear and excitement. Uh, they indulge themselves in every vice, but their favorite excess is the excess of violence on the battlefield. As always. As always. Yeah. They're, they're, they're pretty cool. Slanesh yeah. is a pretty cool god, guys. It is. <laughs> Underrated. <laughs> Underrated. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, as you mentioned, the Great Horn Rat a second ago. So let's talk mm-hmm. about uh, mm-hmm. everyone's favorite rat people of the Mortal Realms, the Skaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we did a big coverage on them a few episodes ago, but let's, uh, let's summarize them. So, yeah, <laughs> the <laughs> Skaven are arguably one of the biggest threats to the mortal realm, purely because of mm-hmm. their numbers more than anything. Uh, they're on the side of chaos, but ultimately will side with the victors because they're only really looking out for themselves. They're all about treachery and gaining the upper hand at all costs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they don't live very long. Mm-hmm. They've got a very high metabolism and, and also the way they backstab, etc. cetera, uh, climbing yeah, the social yeah. ladder through deception <laughs> and things like that. Um, as, as any, as one Skaven can only do so much, they find ways to sort of tip things in their favor. Most common, mm-hmm way of doing that is to swarm enemies with pure numbers because they obviously they breed at such a uh, high rate they've just got <laughs> they've got so many numbers um the yeah. great clans have got different specializations but you know but still have underhand tactics and things like that um if they make leader they take all the glory for themselves and blame other others for mistake like if a warlord loses loads of troops for not really much reason mm. they'll blame those underneath them say oh he he got the tactics wrong or he didn't listen to me etc etc um which leads to constant backstabbing you know you got there's rife amounts of uh, assassination and things like that you know so many mm. skaven exist therefore mistakes aren't that costly though at the end of the day because they're yeah, like, oh fine yeah. we've got we've got plenty of reserves uh t- talking about the clans you've got uh clan uh skyro which is the uh alchemists and the warpstone magic users you've got clan molder which is the ones that breed war beasts you've got clan mm-hmm. pestilence which is the ones that spread disease uh you've got verminous which is the ones that basically just got a huge huge amount of numbers uh you've got clan mm-hmm. eshin which is the the stealth assassin type uh, clan. Um, there's the master clan, which is basically the collection of the gray seers um, and the vermin lords, which are their sort of demonic type uh, uh, troops. Um, they all worship the great horned rat, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and this is one sort of race where 
yeah, God, their God is everything to them uh, more than some of the others. Um, and the Great Horned Rat is, like we alluded to, is the latest God to join chaos um, after the world that was. He's the, the God of blight and doom. Uh, in contrast to Nurgle, who wants to, you know, he basically just wants to destroy everything. So even though they're both, you know, got this sort of plague and, and things like that side of things, Nurgle is still about life at the end of the day, whereas, like I said, yeah. Great Horned Rat, yeah. I just, he just wants to destroy everything. Um, and his his power comes from paranoia and panic. You know, the more paranoid and panic there's around, the more powerful he becomes. Um, mm. And ultimately, the Skaven, Skaven as, a, as a race are growing stronger, um, again, because of the numbers, but because of the technology, things like that. They've they've got tunnels, you know, that are going there from the Blight City, which is their capital, which is sort of a half real type city. Uh, they've got <laughs> tunnels going, uh, allowing them basically, you know, strike anywhere and you know anytime, anywhere in all the realms. They've got tunnels all all the way going through. Um, and mm. there's even a rumor that they breached Sigmar's palace, even though. We don't know about that yet. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for, despite their numbers, despite everything I've just said, some people still deny that they actually exist, <laughs> which, you know. Of course. I can understand that in the world that was, but uh, I think it's a bit beyond that now. <laughs> but they're a very cool race, and I think they're going to mm. you know, carry on getting bigger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait for a, a grand host Skaven mm. or something. Yes, something please. Just let them all work together, please. Yes, God. do it. I, I miss all the clans cooperating. Yes, Ali. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and so now we sort of move on to something a little more generic. We have the creatures of chaos. Um, so the, these are these are things that are sort of perhaps originally natural creatures that have been tainted over time by the, the presence of chaos in the realms. They're basically mostly horrific predatory monsters who have been swollen uh, with stigmata of chaotic transmutation. They have been twisted in these aberrant sh- shapes. They've had their minds broken or filled with bloodlust. Uh, still, some of these actually just come out of tainted realm gates, which is... A really creepy idea is like, oh, that that used to be our trade hub, um, but someone scratched a rune on it, and now all these untold horrors are just spilling out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You've got things like tribes of the drunken centaurs, which are basically centaurs, but with claws instead of hooves. Uh, You've got chaos gargants, so giants that have fallen to chaos. Oh, my cat's yelling at me. Sorry. About that. <laughs> Is that a creature of chaos? <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> uh, we've got cockatrices who can petrify you uh, with their cursed gaze. The mutilated vortex beast is a creature that literally carries a rift into the realm of chaos on its back, sort of with these waves of transmutation around it. Uh, you know, they would be dangerous enough on their own, but a lot of the time, Chaos Warlords look at one of these and go, you know, I, I want to ride that into battle. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you've got packs of Chaos Warhounds running along the sides of uh, Chaos Armies. You have Razor Gores sort of running through Beastman herds. You've got Harpies swooping down from above. Slaughter Brutes, these massive clawed fiends, basically tearing alongside Bloodbound Armies. Uh, things like Chaos Manticores as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are also demons that are not aligned to any particular god. We've got things like, uh, the Soul Grinder, which is <laughs> honestly the best piece of evidence that Age of Sigma and 40k connected via the warp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> vicious rumor. 
<laughs> yeah, mm, just a rumor. Um, there's demon princes. There are also furies who are lesser demons of chaos undivided that really don't get much attention, to be honest, which is sad because they're kind of cool. Um, but one of the coolest creatures of chaos has to be dragon ogres. So these mm. are, they're, they're like centaurs, but the bottom half is dragon and the top half is ogre. Um, and they have this affinity for lightning. They entered with a, they entered into a pact with the dark gods before mankind even ventured forth into the light. So they've been chaos creatures for, you know, an, un, an unknowably long time. They have these grim bestial faces and they are led by shagoths, which are these massive, massive dragon ogres, like two to three times as big as the standard one. Uh, they are sort of these living wrecking balls of chaos, uh, with a cold-blooded metabolism that heals if they're struck by lightning, and they often live in mountainous homes. Uh, the thing is, they're really good for fighting Stormcast, because immunity to lightning damage, really handy when you're fighting Sigma's forces, it turns out. Just a out. tad. <laughs> uh, um, and I mean, while we're at it, we've also got the Bray Herds and the War Herds. These are the Beastmen. Um, yes. they, you know, basically this host of, uh, chaos worshipping mutants. Uh, the first sign of one of their attacks is this discordant rallying cry that's designed to spread fear. Just like that. Just yeah, like I can that. hear a rallying cry in the background. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that <laughs> that'll that'll make that into the final recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they're, they're actually act quite smart because they start out with this horrific cry to sort of unsettle defenders <laughs> and make it unclear which direction they're coming from. And then they close in from every side, like jaws around a piece of raw meat. Um, some people believe that the gores of the Bray Herds are these mutants. They're just barbarian tribesmen twisted by the creatures of chaos. Other people think maybe they're native to the realm of chaos. You know, maybe they're just born like that, spilling mm -hmm. out into the mortal realms whenever demon armies come by. Uh, but they exist in every mortal realm in massive numbers, and they are always a threat. Uh, they're sort of primitive and territorial. They claim wild areas and raid nearby civilized areas. They're these sort of crude, basic creatures that have little skill in crafting of anything other than weapons, effectively. <laughs> uh, and they live to kill, to feast, to rut, and to tear down all signs of ordered society. They're creatures of chaos by nature, and they just have this beyond instinct, like this innate revulsion for anything created mm. by order. So they're pretty punk, <laughs> then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the revolution. Uh <laughs> To the Bray Herds, such things are signs of revolting weakness and must be smashed asunder. Oh, God, you built a house? Oh, God. Oh, conformist. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, they, they have shamans that read the desires of the Chaos Gods uh, in spilled innards and crude runes and omens. Uh, they seek worthy victims to sacrifice on their altars and their Braystones. Is that Herdstones, not Braystones, big pardon. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the weak and feeble in their society are swiftly devoured. <laughs> yep, it's Battle of the Fittest. Yep, Battle of the Fittest. Um, they, they're basically in an anarchic and brutal faction. Uh, and then the war herds are the, the, the big boys of the, uh, <laughs> yep. of, of the, of the beastmen. Uh, they're basically an army of minotaurs, which is pretty cool. Uh, if I could say so myself, they've got these right. doomble leaders, these bigger minotaurs, just whipping them up into a frenzy. Um, 
they basically just tear um defensive positions to pieces uh they don't they don't really care about owning things apart from their weapon and maybe a little bit of armor yeah. uh they're don't just need any more always yeah exactly they're always hungry they have to keep killing they have to keep eating um <laughs> you know and uh this extends beyond just the normal minotaurs some of them are transfigured into these terrifying things like the magic eating Saigor, which is an enormous minotaur with one eye that carries around a big stone obelisk and eats <laughs> spells into wizards, which is really cool. Um, or gorgons, which are enormous four-armed minotaurs so hungry for slaughter that they've cut off their hands and replaced them with swords. <laughs> As you do, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, the warherd is basically just a charging mass of muscle, bone, metal, and rock that's nice. more or less unstub- unstoppable. They just <laughs> they drop their heads and they charge right in. Uh, they're really cool. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Right, mm. that's chaos. Right, and it's time for our third grand alliance and it's time for death and let's start oh, with the yeah. death lords oh yeah <laughs> so let's start with everyone's favorite death lord let's let's start with the gash yeah the gash the great necromancer mm-hmm. who's got the power of a god and he's basically looking to turn all the mortal realms to his obedience he's the yeah. the god of all or yeah, he would like yeah. to be anyway the god of all shaish so Nagash has got one goal, and that's basically mm. to bind humanity to his will. Ever, and he's basically ever had that uh, train of thought ever since he was a mortal, as part mm. of the uh, the mortuary cult. You know, yeah. he murdered his brother to become king. You know, he got involved in dark magic and weird stone, obsessed with raw dark magic. You know, he he went down a dark path. Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so much so that it ended up with him growing taller and skeletal. Mm. Mm. Um, he's died quite a few times over the years. His first death was to the Skaven, um, which he, he ended up reforming himself mm. from just his skeletal hand, which took uh, quite a long time as well, yeah. <laughs> understandably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, he dies over and over again. He's died to Sigmar, Skaven, Chaos. You know, he, he, ta- he takes one for the team. He's like, it's mm. all right, I'll come back. doesn't matter. So basically every time he dies, he, he flees to his, his sarcophagus, which is basically under his stronghold. He reforms, which can take centuries. In some cases, it can take millennia. It's uh, mm. it's not, any, you know, you thought the, uh, the reforging of Stormcast was a long time. <laughs> <laughs> this is even longer at times. So in that time, once he reforms, he's like, right. I'm off to get my vengeance again. <laughs> He's like, he keeps coming back. Um, so he starts with, you know, comes back with his bone winged Morgasts at his side. He's like, no problem. It's fine. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've lost a bit of time, but I'm going to get my revenge. So basically when he was delving into his, his necromancy and as a, as a young whippersnapper of a necromancer, <laughs> he, uh, he inadvertently spread uh, vampirism <laughs> throughout yeah, the world, yeah. which is really cool. <laughs> uh, which is basically with, with with some of the early vampire, some of the early vampires are still in his service as of mm. today as well, which is really cool. Yeah, uh, some of the sort of prominent ones is uh, you got uh, Never, what's it name? Nefer Tata, which is uh, the queen. Of- <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Sorry, say <laughs> Nef- you said Nefertata. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, it's, it's, it's my stupid notes here. It's where I've spelt it. <laughs> ah, of course. <laughs> Queen of the ancient, ancient Lemire. Yeah. So, yep. uh, who uh, stole the rarest of all his tomes, naughty of her, uh, creating an immortality crimson liquid, which basically ended up uh, with her turning into the first vampire, and then in turn started a vampire empire. Because, 
Yep. Well, that's what yeah. you do, doesn't you? Yeah, still gotta. serves as a yeah, yeah. You got to really. Um, still serves as a mortark, uh, which is basically a king or queen under the gash. Um, and she was resurrected and does her work through her spies and minions. She doesn't like to get her hands dirty these days, <laughs> supposedly. Uh, her rival is Manfred, as in Manfred von Karstein, which is the last of the von Karsteins. Yeah. Uh, work, working through the scenes, you know, he's he's a he's a type that works behind the scenes really to gain an upper hand. Uh, in a very well, he took out his father and claimed Sylvania. Uh, even tried to bend the gash to his will, which I think is <laughs> madness. But you know, yeah. he, he was he was a bit of a confident lad, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, which obviously ended up with uh, not working out so well, and ended up getting punished for it. But basically, both vampires want to be second in command but they're never going to have that title because there's nah. always going to be Arkan the black around yeah. that's always going to be Nagash's second in command Arkan is a, a leash lord a sorcerer and a necromancer he's a basically a huge skeletal man in, with like wears like king-like robes and a staff that channels the energy of Shaish and rides a dread abyssal so yeah nice. he, he is very badass as well so <laughs> yep that's Nagash and his uh his cronies <laughs> yeah the death lords um and now we have our sort of our newest spoopy death faction we have the night haunt oh yeah very cool um so night haunt are sort of cat what are you doing i think my cat wants to get in on the night haunt <laughs> yeah my cat, my cat just saw a ghost. Everyone, um, yeah. No, so well, night haunts. <laughs> yeah. I see, know. look. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Anyway. Uh. So night haunts are basically the restless spirits of the undead. Um. They roam. They're these terrifying ethereal phantasms that roam fell places uh, on cold winds. And they've been shaped by Nagash's magic into forms that echo their, their the sins of their mortal lives. Why are you so why are you so angry, Cat? <laughs> it's because you're talking about Nighthaunt. It, <laughs> it actually probably freaking them out. Uh, believe it or not, this comes up in the Soul Wars novel. Um, <laughs> See, it's very apt. The, the best way to detect a ghost is to have a cat around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Yeah, um, and so, in a hundred thousand graveyards... Oh my god, stop this. <laughs> I'm trying to record, but please, we've said, we've had this conversation before on a different podcast. <laughs> I've spoken to you many times about this. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, uh, this might not be showing up on the recording, but my cat is just yelling her head off right now. Uh, <laughs> I can't, and I can't let her out because it's 3am and she needs to stay in here. Um <laughs> Uh, so, in a hundred thousand graveyards across the model realms, a bone-numbing chill seeps out from open tombs and exhumed mass graves. With it comes a deathly mist, and within that strange miasma are the Nighthaunt hosts. So, they're ghosts that sort of float around in uh, this death mist, which is pretty cool. Uh, they are, of course, ethereal creatures, not physical beings, and so they're almost immune to damage from mundane weapons. Their power comes from this immortal rage, spite, and bitterness. They can drift through walls and reach through your flesh to stop your heart and your chest. They're very spooky. They're very cool. Yeah. Um, they hail from the realm of death, especially near the Shaish and Deer and the Innerlands. They're not normal geists, uh, spirits of mortal men that have been called into service, but they are actually properly undead apparitions they've been twisted mighty and gashed to the point that they've become these ghostly killers uh they attack as this onrushing screaming host of dark spirits 
they fight specifically to send souls back to the underworlds, uh, taking pleasure knowing that those souls will basically be tormented and turned into more Nighthaunt. <laughs> <laughs> and at the moment, uh, thanks to the Necroquake, they're the vanguard of Nagash's legions, just rising up from any area where there are dead <laughs> in all of the realms. Um, you know, even just a raghag ragtag cord of chain rust can prove the demise of armored warriors um considering how many ghosts are out there now that's a big problem um <laughs> just a bit <laughs> yeah I, I mean the real big problem with them is that unless you've got this very powerful intent and a massive amount of courage your attacks will just kind of pass through them without doing any actual damage uh, and the worst part is that they sort of just bleed this fear and confusion into the air around them which makes it harder to concentrate and harder to rem- sort of maintain that bravery um some of them are of course very steeped in evil as opposed to the regularly steeped in evil ones and these have sort of become the uh the leaders of the nighthorn armies they are mm-hmm. you know the shades of murderers sorcerers and executioners uh and their forms are always a vile reflection yeah what are you doing she just left at the door <laughs> she just left up at the door handle and tried to open it i'm very impressed but- <laughs> <laughs> she's definitely scared of those ghosts <laughs> yeah yeah it doesn't like me talking about this um yeah but uh so all of them have been twisted into this form that reflects their former sins uh because necromancer the great necromancer nagash i should say has this sort of twisted sense of justice for people he believes to be criminals uh people who died in chains hoping to be in free in death for example find that their ghosts are still in shackles people who turned away in horror from necromancy find undead flocking towards them those who loved murdering in secret are turned into these screaming frenzied killers that attract attention uh all this kind of stuff you have all these ghostly apparitions you have lord executioners and glaive race stalkers sent as execution forces hex raids and black coaches carrying the bodies of dead of dead monarchs sort of ride as these mad hosts um there are magic eating banshees and shrieking uh and shrieking crone ghosts uh sort of flying around and their screams will stop even an armored Uruk's heart. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Night haunts are pretty cool. They are indeed. Uh, and talking of cool and actually quite odd as a race mm. or a faction is the Flesh Eater Courts. Um, these are, I must admit, I didn't really know much about these before I started reading, and they're yeah. actually quite fascinating, <laughs> the concept behind <laughs> these. So, Flesh Eater Courts are basically ghouls with a morbid core, uh, curse uh, a moment of weakness that's basically ended in this curse only only way to sort of end it is sort of either through sword or for, through fire mm-hmm. basically in their minds this curse they are the saviors they're the victims of the curse which is mm-hmm. really cool uh basically in times of sort of famine and war people turn against each other obviously to survive including in some cases becoming cannibal now this is this is where they can become. They will become a mordant when they <laughs> when they partake in an, mm. a, an abhorrent king's feast. Mm. Now, basically, the kings are sort of these bestial vampires who who rule through their courts. Um, these abhorrent ghoul kings are sort of mm. a, a madness and looked down by their king kin. But basically, cannibals are sort of seen as hungry peasants, making them mordants. It's this really bizarre mm. sort of concept where the sort yeah. of kings think they're noble. And mm. the these mordants who are basically ghouls are starving peasants. That they've got yeah. this curse is yeah. sort of, blo- you know, giving them blinkered vision. Basically, mm. <laughs> it's really yeah. bizarre. Yeah. 
So these feasts are created from the living and the dead. Uh, sometimes they even sample like king's blood, which they see as wine. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, then they basically become these horrible monsters under under their will. This is where the king mm-hmm. sort of t- gain their power over them, and they, they're known as the blessed blessed ones. Uh, sometimes they go from mordant to abhorrent, and sometimes mm-hmm. they may even start their own court, depending on yeah. how things go. Um, some areas of uh, Akshi and Shaish are overtaken by this plague and virus really mm. um often after chaos has ruined the land to take the advantage so basically you know chaos has ruined everything and mm. then that's when they all sort of you know <laughs> have what's left the the king yeah, will create yeah. a, th- a throne and a kingdom believing it to be majestic you know he's believing the bones are swords and some become scouts uh in- especially the winged mutants because mm. obviously they're very adapt for that the um ghouls will hoard bones in some cases, uh, sort of thinking it's treasure and things like that. <laughs> it's uh, and in some cases, there will be shrines and the gash as sort of overall leader as well. I mean, yeah. ultimately, yeah. the flesh eater courts believe they're nobility, but ultimately they're a plague. <laughs> it's yeah. it's yeah. a very very bizarre <laughs> concept, but a very cool one is that. Mm. So yeah, that's the flesh eater courts. Awesome. Yeah. Couple of pages over, and we get to the Soul Blight curse. So these mm. are your vampires, as some yes. might say. Uh, so these are the generals and kings of undead nations uh, who have become vampires through the fell magic of the Blood Kiss. Uh, they are powerful beyond the dreams of men, but while they consider themselves free to work their agendas, uh, they are actually irre- irre- irredeemably bound to Nagash's plans. Uh, they're all the direct descendants of the first undead to bear the curse of eternal thirst. And like you mentioned earlier, Neferata from uh, ancient Lamia or Lamia. Yeah, uh, not Nefertata. No, not Nefertata. <laughs> uh, they, they, they do bear the legacy of this ancient civilization. Uh, they, you know, they have unnatural resilience, wonderful strength, and a sharp mind that doesn't dim across the eons. So they can, they do live forever. They are proper vampires. Um, but the downside, of course, is, they all thirst for blood. <laughs> blood. Yeah. Um, there are now, uh, in the mortal realms, over a hundred lineages of different vampires. Uh, most of them consider themselves sort of an aristocracy, and they prefer to prey upon people of royal blood. Uh, they, you know, feed upon kings and queens and nobles. Uh, and to, you know, keep their appetites going, they raise whole armies of undead, sire more vampires, and march off to war to conquer other kingdoms, to take their noble families to eat, effectively. Um, they do their best to keep a, a regal appearance. Um, mm-hmm. Although some of them, over time, devolve into these bestial creatures, uh, again, like you just mentioned with the, uh, the Flesh Eater Court, they're led by bestial vampires, known as abhorrent ghoul kings. Yep. Um, and yeah, the ones that sort of devolve become creatures such as Vargas, these vampires that have completely lost their physical form to become enormous bat monsters. Uh, they sometimes also just grow random bat arms as, uh, as demonstrated by that one vampire lord model. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That was really cool. Yeah, yeah. I like that one. Um, they often go to war and co- accompanied by swarms of enormous bats, uh, that help bring down their prey. And although they often pretend, pretend to have this sort of rare refinement and sup noble blood, they have this, always have this animalistic side, uh, hidden underneath them. You know, if they get too thirsty, they will eat anyone. 
they do need to drink. They they have the thirst. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and some of them deliberately hunt uh, the greatest beasts of the realms or use dark magic to resurrect them. Uh, you have things like the zombie dragon, which is this towering monstrosity that breathes pestilent clouds of acid. Or uh, to rival the zombie dragon, you have the terrorgeist, which is an undead hellbat. Uh, it's sort of <laughs> the last remains of an ancient bat-like race, um, and it feed and it used to feed on the gantrum beasts of the realm, sucking their rich blood. So it's basically a giant undead vampire bat, which very, uh, <laughs> very appropriate. <laughs> uh, and terrorgeist are most famous for a chilling, deathly scream. Uh, it sort of can stun people initially in life, but now that they are undead creatures. The, the sheer fear of it can cause a man's heart to explode inside his chest. Um, you know, even if you manage to slay a terrorgeist as it collapses, swarms of bats will just burst out from it. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, and uh, those are more or less the forces of uh, the Soul Blight at the moment. I'm sure they'll yes. get an expansion eventually. Oh, I'm sure they will. Yeah. They need updating a bit, don't they? Hmm. Right. Okay. Let's let's wrap up death with the uh, necromantic mm-hmm. hosts. So this yes. is sort of a, all really about the uh, the necromancers. So lesser necromancers sort of basically will take the path of necromancy for different reasons. Sometimes it's mm. revenge. Sometimes they seek immortality. But some ultimately it's power and wealth by raising an undead army. Because mm. yeah, let's see yeah, what comes of it. <laughs> <laughs> some are hunted and killed, but those who manage to avoid that despite the madness, uh, it does take its, its toll on the necromancer, yeah. understandably. I mean, each necromancer student uh, ended up sort of twisted and stooped over, due, as we've said before, the weight of undead, uh, undeath mm. magic. It's a very heavy yeah. magic. Um, yeah. doesn't go down easy, not easy digestible. <laughs> um, it's uh, even, you know, even sort of to where that they're to the point where they're not classed as alive anymore. It can really mm. sort of overtake a necromancer's sort of physical form. Uh, some ride carriages or even awesome looking mortis engines, <laughs> uh, which are basically an ancient machine where the bones of a powerful necromancer are at the heart of it. Um, mm. You've got like a corpse master that rides it and will let out the energy to sort of buff the nearby undead, which mm. is really cool. Uh, you've got dead walkers, which is basically your standard sort of zombie type creature. Mm-hmm. Necromancers mm-hmm. sort of have no no conscious with what uh, conscious with what they do so you know too late uh, for any of that so with an army of rotting corpses uh, in basically mm. which is a combination of flesh bone vermin rope metal <laughs> it's this <laughs> lovely concoction uh, with, yeah. where they barely got any thought um, and ultimately they would collapse without any necromancer or in case of vampire power um, no real energy to raise and it's power in numbers so it's that's why they can just churn out loads of the uh, the dead walkers um you've got the death death rattle armies which is basically your skeletons um mm-hmm. these these are basically kingdoms that are regions that have fallen to dust but are still animated with skeletal warriors ruled by white kings um they're yeah. armed with these really cool witch fire iron blades and are very mm-hmm. which are extremely powerful um mm-hmm. compared to some of the others like the death walkers they fight in very ordered ranks so they're mar- mm-hmm. which are basically because they're marshaled by former princes which are black knights um which mm-hmm. and they're still wearing the, like, the former heraldry of you know when they were alive mm-hmm. um so ultimately the they're more than just warriors you know the, the, as well because these are the where how the first mortal realm cities were built as well um, yeah and yeah. it's also the same for the great 
black pyramid for Nagash as mm. well. So, you know, these were, you've got these numbers of uh, arguably mm. mindless uh, creatures doing your work. So, um, mm. so yeah, that's the necromantic coasts. And that's, that's death all wrapped up. Yeah. So, so there's one left. Just one left. We're almost there, one, guys. <laughs> almost there. One <laughs> last grand alliance, and it's destruction. Yeah. Uh, luckily, it's the smallest one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so only oh, a few yeah. factions. Okay. Okay, let's start with the, the main guys, which is the Iron Jaws. So these are mm. the biggest and most fierce of all Oryx. Um, my mate's right, you know, basically wrecking yeah. everything in yeah. their path. Um, despite what people think, they're not stupid as a race. They're actually, quite, you know, they are, they do know what they're doing. They wear spiked armor to protect themselves when basically kicking ass, um, <laughs> making sure they create as much destruction as possible. Nice, simple mm. mind. Just, it's cool. Oh, yeah. It's causes much destruction. Um, the grots, uh, basically paint their armor to make, sh- to make sure their tribe gets represented because that's a big thing to them. You know, what, what's the point of doing something if there's no one around to see it basically you know so you want your you want your colors on you so because ultimately they want to earn the respect of gork and morka their god um biggest part of their tribe is the arid boys um mm-hmm. armed with huge weapons like choppers um you've got the larger iron jaws which is the brutes um and they're quite cool because they basically bully beasts to, to basically get them into battle so they'll <laughs> smack it around they'll get a, a grunter for example they'll sm- mm. make it submit submit mm. by jumping on it jab it with its knee spikes and then and then charge basically <laughs> um yeah. the iron jaws uh war leaders are the mega bosses and they're these huge 10 foot tall hawks with the uh, <laughs> pig iron axes and and they weigh about a ton because they've got so much armor on them as well yeah, so because yeah. of that they can't ride grunters because they're too heavy so they ride more crushers which are these half drake type uh, creatures mm. and also they chain themselves to it as well <laughs> <laughs> so so you've got this mega huge combo of a massive orc mega boss and uh, mm. more crusher and a lot of yeah. weight behind it and just get stuck <laughs> in <laughs> um compared to some of the other factions in destruction they're quite military focused com- in mm. comparison um they exploit like they they have like gatherings of war so they've got a mob mm. which is basically a, a <laughs> group of brutes getting together a group yeah, yeah. Uh, of five uh, around a powerful leader uh, a group a grouping of them of those is called a fist a, mm-hmm. and then you've got other examples like a weird fist is where they gather around a weird boy shaman um, with its rampant energies, you've got an Ard Fist, which is where they they group around a war chanter, uh, you know, for battle songs and things like that. And then basically five fists equals a brawl. It's good. It's good mechanics here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically, they use this term this terminology about punching because it appeals to them, <laughs> and, and it also keeps it simple because there's no yeah, more counting yeah. than five. Um, some of the wars uh, get so big. Uh, in the case of like Mega Boss Gordrak, um, they basically needed new numbers up to ten. And uh, <laughs> the old girl legend is seven eight nine. See what they did there. <laughs> so, basically, in conclusion, that. that is great. Isn't it? I can't believe they put that in. So, in conclusion, the Iron Jaws are all about violence, mm-hmm. as expected. What about their cousins? Oh, the 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 strange hillbilly cousins, the bone splitters. <laughs> yeah. uh, these guys are the savage and unhinged one, unhinged ones. Uh, they're they're the orc equivalent of fire slayers. They go in with a loincloth and some war paint, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and they believe that their faith in Gorkamorko will protect them. 
Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, why not? I mean, exactly. Uh, so, bone splitters are orcs that at some point in their lives have been caught up in this wave of wah energy. And instead of feeling it disperse after the battle's done, it just kind of hangs around and becomes a permanent part of them. Rattles around their skulls, making everything seem weird and colorful and crazy and sort of addicts them to life and life or death combat. Uh, there are thousands of different bone splitter tribes, each with different creeds and totems, but they all are united under Gorkamorka, whom they worship. Uh, they're not all born into bone splitter tribes, like some, a lot of them are born as part of the tribe, but sometimes an orc, you know, filled with wild power just gets consumed by it and gets banished by his tribe for talking to himself or hitting other orcs in the face with rocks they claim to be blessed by Gorkamorka. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. They sort of, yeah, they sort of wander around following random portents and signs until they find a Wurgog prophet, this marks, this masked shaman who oversees their transformation to a bone splitter. Uh, they particularly enjoy hunting the giant beasts of the lands and swarm like soldier and ants around creatures that could crush any of them with a stray, with a stray footstep. Uh, but long ago, the bone splitters perfected a method of driving their massive prey into a place of ambush, using flint arrows to take its eyes and spears, uh, some spears, uh, <laughs> Uh, so using flint arrows to take his eyes and then using these massive two-man spears or two auric spears, I guess I should say, to penetrate its hide. Uh, once enough blows have been landed to bleed it to death, they just hack it apart and eat the entire thing, except for the bones, <laughs> which they use for weapons and shields. <laughs> uh, nice. They, Yeah, they also take the, the fangs and the claws and the jaw bones and tusks and pierce them through their skin in sort of a ritualistic act where they feel that they inherit the energy that used to drive the creature. Uh, in some cases, they get so sort of pent up in battle that they do this in the middle of a fight. They'll kill something, dive in, pull a rib out, and just jam it into their arm <laughs> to try and make themselves feel stronger. <laughs> <laughs> Great mentality. <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, they also have all these crude tattoos of things they've killed um, and things they've overcome and the nature of the spirit they've eaten. And as the wah overcomes them, the tattoos actually shift and move around, which is really creepy to all the other orcs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but f for the bone splitters, they're like, no, that's that's Gorkamorka telling us we're doing good. Uh, they see omens all over the place. Like if they see an oddly shaped cloud, uh, the, the Wurgog prophet might think, Oh, that, that cloud looks like a charging boar. And he starts doing a war dance that sets the whole tribe off. And they go and they just start conquering <laughs> the closest thing to them. And just all, all places have been burned to the ground. Cities have been toppled. Even empires have been brought low or continents crumbled into the sea because a single prophet saw one of these and went, oh, okay, it's time for a big fight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're, nice. they're pretty good. <laughs> they're awesome. <laughs> Cool. Right. Almost there. Uh, yep, next yep. in line is uh, a slightly bigger claw. race. Yeah. The uh, Beast Claw Raiders. So the Beast, Beast Claw Ogres are known especially being followed by the Everwinter. So now basically each realm, apart from Ashki, uh, Akshi even, uh, has mm. season cycles, including like horrible winters and things like that. But nothing is in comparison to the Everwinter. It's a, basically a supernatural blizzard hurricane. Mm that yeah. freezes everything <laughs> in essence um basically the legend is that it follows the beast called raiders beast mm. claw raiders due to a gorkamorka curse 
Um, mm. And basically, they can't because of that. They can't rest as otherwise the ever winter will basically freeze them in place. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so they've got to keep yeah. on the move at all times. Uh, each ogre is a, an angry, hungry, super strong beast with you know similar to the other one, similar to like the bone splitters, where little to no mm. armor because they don't really need it. Uh, yeah. Immune to the cold and tough skinned naturally um they bully <laughs> monsters and creatures to be their steeds effectively mm, you know yeah. because they're big enough and ugly enough to do it um you've got the uh, their tribes are alpha stuns uh, led by the oldest ogre which is known as a frost lord and they roam basically for roam the lands uh their heavy cavalry are the uh, the mournfang riders with like huge tusks um mm. they're run by uh, what's called hunter chieftains uh, you got the uh, ice bro, ice bro, oh, I'm getting mad now. Ice bro hunters, uh, which <laughs> oh, it's so long this episode. Uh, mm. Trackers using um, frost sabers, which are like these stealthy cave beasts, um, mm. basically combined to be to turn into hunt, these hunting packs, which are known as skulls. Uh, you got the ice fall yetis, which are these white furred beasts drawn to prey and and supernatural mm. cold. Um, they are uh, snow fiends wearing skulls of their prey in their hair, which is really, which is a really <laughs> lovely image, uh, surrounded by crippling cold. Um, and basically, the the frost lord and his uh, huskard lieutenants, which are under him, have what's have like well, arguably the worst and horrific of the beasts. Where you got the uh, mm. thunder tusk, which are these like elephant like creatures that spit out ice sphere magic which is a brilliant concept. Uh, you've got stone horns, which are like these supernatural skeletons made of rock, but um, mm. instead of bone, uh, which basically turns it into like a raging living battering ram. So yeah, they're a very a, a personification of destruction. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Constantly on the move, wrecking everything in their way. So yeah, that's the Beast Claw Raiders and yep. come on Cameron, bring it home. Yep. Last bring one. Bring it home with the Savage Tribes, which once again is the everyone else faction. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh so we've got our basic green skins and they've got a very simple mentality, which is just bigger is better, and the biggest of the lot is the boss. Um, this is the simple truth that sort of underlines their entire society. And if you don't accept it, you get beaten up until you do accept it. Um, <laughs> basically, <laughs> if you're big enough and you're strong enough, thousands, maybe even millions of orcs will fl- will sort of flock to your banner to follow you. Uh, they're capable of great feats of strength, like beating the living daylights out of wyverns to make it fall and behave for a bit. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, uh, and if you, you know, if your boss is riding a wyvern into battle, there's no doubt about how hard he is. Um, Damn right. <laughs> you know, they use boar chariots, uh, all kinds of things. They just, they just love a good scrap, you know? Uh, they do yeah. their wah, sort of magically charged campaign of violence <laughs> across wherever they happen to be. Um, you know, they, they love nothing more than a good brawl, but they're not dumb. They know how to direct their aggression strategically when they need to. Uh, Morka, who's this psychopathic deity they worship, uh, he's a twofold god. One side is Gork, who's brutal, but cunning, and one side is Mog, who's cunning, but brutal. Underhanded sneakiness, or thinking, as it's sometimes known, it plays a significant (laughs) part in greenskin society. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, no matter how big or brutal you are, you don't get far without some cunning. Uh, then you have Gitmog Grots, uh, which are you know, they're not, they're not as big, but they make up for it by being crueler and smarter, and even a regular Grot can sort of rule over a war if he's stabby enough. 
uh, <laughs> Git mobs are sort of the, enough. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Git mobs are the sort of the really unscrupulous and mean spirited ones, fond of playing lethal practical jokes and kicking their mates when they're down just because. Um, and they also construct a lot of artillery, like uh, spear chuckers, boulder hurlers, and even the uh, the fame the fabled doom diver catapult, which uses living grots as ammunition. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Uh, you have the Moon Clan Grots, which are even smaller than your regular, than your regular Grot, but they're even more cunning. Uh, they worship Gorkamorka as the Bad Moon, and they hate the light of day. Uh, they only come out at night, and even then they have to wear long black robes all over them to make sure, uh, no light gets on them. They breathe like fungus down in the dark, um, and, you know, uh, they, uh, they, while they're not particularly strong individually, in numbers they suddenly become very dangerous. Uh, they have a whole, a whole culture of eating mushrooms, uh, with all the <laughs> typically associated effects. Uh, and their specialist <laughs> units are things like fanatics who've just eaten enough to go nuts and start swinging around balls and chains. And they have shamans, uh, who eat magical mushrooms to help them cast spells and things like that. Uh, and everyone's favorite animal companion, the squig, uh, which is just oh. a bouncy mouth on oh. legs. Love it. <laughs> They're pretty great. The space hopper of all creatures. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, on the subject of further grots, we then have the spider fang grots, who, instead of living just wherever or underground, these guys live in sweltering hot jungles and forests, places that are so overgrown and poisonous that bigger creatures just can't live there. There's no space for them. Uh, and they sort of live in this symbiotic relationship with a whole bunch of spiders. Uh, they worship Gorkamorka as a many-eyed spider god. Uh, they actually take in the poisons of the nearby spiders, and they sort of slowly become one with them on a spiritual level, and this changes them physically. Some of them have multiple sets of eyes, some of them have extra limbs, some have venomous bites. Um, others ride on top of pony-sized spiders into battle, which is... <laughs> <laughs> how cute <laughs> yeah um and you know the best and brightest among them worship at a living altar called a, an arachnorock spider which i love that name um <laughs> should this should the spider neglect to kill them for long enough they may even build a cobwebby howder upon its back and cling to it as it thunders into battle <laughs> it's just like oh you know god didn't kill us let's build a temple on top of it <laughs> uh uh and then going back to ogres uh we have the gut busters so ogres are obsessed with two things eating and fighting and all too often the eating directly follows after the fighting um, damn right <laughs> yeah uh they're not green of skin but they share a lot of cultural uh significant significant culturally significant things with um grots and greenskins so they get along mm -hmm. pretty well um they're sort of driven by insatiable gluttony and answer to their stomachs alone uh even their weapons are based on their need to eat they prefer clubs and maces for their ability to tenderize and bludgeon their meal to be without spilling too many of the juicy vital bits um <laughs> and even the scimitars and swords they use are carefully blunted to a dull edge the night before each battle Nice. Just, mm, just, can you imagine a whole bunch of ogres sitting around a campfire and you think, oh, they're sharpening their swords and then they get a big rock and start hammering the edge flat <laughs> <laughs> to use it as a club. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, yeah. Um, and they're nomadic simply because if, if they lived anywhere, it'd be stripped bare within a week. Uh, yeah. 
basically creature. any yeah anything in front of them they stomp it flat eat it and uh if they can't eat it they try and rob it and if <laughs> they can do both of those they do both of those things uh they may be thick as two short planks but they have enough sense to nail them together and beat their prey to death with the result <laughs> <laughs> just the the writing of the destruction section is really good um <laughs> it is that yeah um there are a bunch of grots that follow gutbusters around and they're even better at improvisation and they actually create artillery pieces and strap them to rhinox beasts uh they they basically they have a symbiotic relationship with the ogles that protect them and are hardly ever eaten as a result which <laughs> <laughs> always uh I, I love the um Oh god, I forgot I forget what they used to be called in Warhammer Fantasy, but they're the Noblars, that's what they were. The little mm, yeah, yeah. Gr- grey ogre goblins. Um yep. still on still on ogres, we have man eaters. Uh so all ogres have this immense wanderlust. They love travelling. Uh it's basically an evolutionary thing because if they stayed put, they'd starve. Um <laughs> <laughs> makes sense, yep. Mm. Yeah, um, so they, you know, they take off, they travel, um, they ply their trade as mercenaries. Uh, they don't have any of their own cultural, cultural artifacts though. Um, so they just take the, the artifacts of the, uh, the cultures that they visit. Uh, they, you know, they collect trophies and trappings and dress themselves up to fit in. They usually like to take big, important sounding names like Garrod Greathammer, the Meat Man of New Midasheim, or Thrag the Kingiest. <laughs> <laughs> which I like Thrag the Kingiest. Um and veteran man eaters are wonderful boasters. They tell these ma- these amazing inflated stories of their own prowess to anyone who wants to listen. Uh our final a final Ogor entry is the Firebellies, which are priests of the volcano. They believe that long ago Gorkamorka ate the sun, but it gave him such bad heartburn that he vomited back up again, and that's why we have the cycle of day and night, which I really like that myth actually. Right. That's really cool. Um, and they, they choose to echo this divine miracle by consuming the hottest substances they can find, starting as youngsters with the sometimes lethal fire guys chili and working through the fiercest action and curries cooked to red hot scalding temperatures before finally <laughs> consuming lava directly from the volcano. If Lovely. they survive this, they'll be able to breathe fire. <laughs> Fair trade off. Yeah. <laughs> Fair trade off. I, I just like the idea of an ogre culture entirely devoted to eating curry. <laughs> sign me up <laughs> oh yeah sign me up that's amazing <laughs> um moving on to new territory we have the trogoths which are your trolley types um basically wherever there's a destruction army there'll be a few of these guys wandering around following them um there's a whole bunch of varieties uh but their the common denominator is that they're able to regenerate horrific wounds and they're very very strong uh mm. so they make for good beasts of wars uh, some can vomit acid over a long distance, others exude stinking grease, some can breathe underwater, or they can breathe uh, a gas foul enough that it stuns people into comatose states. <laughs> <laughs> they just smell that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and our final entry is the Ale Guzzler Gargans, so your giants. Uh, they're present in every realm, uh, yes, even in Azerheim, again, actually mentioned... I think in a throwaway line in Soul Wars, you should read that book. It's got so much good info. Jesus. <laughs> um, myths claim them to be the descendants of the world titan, Behemoth, having crawled out of his mouth after he was knocked unconscious by a blow from Sigma- Sigmar's hammer. Um, which is a pretty cool myth. Um, <laughs> some, some other people, though, say that 
Giants are the remnants of the first races that lived in the mortal realm. That long ago they had fine minds as well as strong bodies, and they sort of made these monolithic wonders of ancient times that exist. Uh, whatever the truth, they're just drunkards now. They raid and pillage, <laughs> stomping anyone who tries to... St- yeah, stamping flat anyone who tries to stop them. Uh, they can be bargained with if you offer them enough cattle and barrels of ale, but it won't be long before they're back on a drunken rampage. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the best a prospective employer can hope for is to guide them in the right direction and hope they do more harm to the enemy than to their allies. But when a Gargan's clubbing, stamping attack gets into full swing, it's easy enough to see why so many take the risk to hire them. <laughs> uh, destruction is great. I love them. Destruction the is perfect, very cool indeed. Just, just the perfect <laughs> comedic touch to really it round is, out Age of Sigma. There's a, yeah. Exactly. There's enough, enough uh, chaos and grim <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. No, needs it. Needs a bit of comedy no. in there as well. Exactly. It's always been like that. Cool. Mm. We did it, oh, Cameron. Man. We've done we it. We did it. We, we've got to the end. <laughs> 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 oh, man. It's been great. It's been so long as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But we've done it. We've covered all the title of mega episode. Exactly. This is mega episode. (laughs) Very appropriate for episode 10. And we've managed to cover the lore of uh, the core book in in Soul Mm. Wars. So we hope you've (laughs) thoroughly enjoyed this. This has been great. It's, uh, oh man, I'm exhausted, but it's been good. It's been really good. So yeah, I I mean, (laughs) just a quick summary. So I'm so impressed with what they've done with Soul Mm. Wars, how much they've moved things on, the fact they've reaffirmed some things, because again, Age of Sigmar has always been something where people consider, oh, it doesn't have that much lore and things like that. So I think they've really made a good effort on this. And I think we've, I hope it's shown that we've, we've thoroughly enjoyed this and hopefully, you know, much more to come as well, because I'm sure they've got Mm. plenty planned uh, in the pipeline. So yeah. Here we, that's it. So that's uh, that's Soul Wars, mm. right? Okay, we'll just do a little bit of admin stuff, the usual, and then we'll be off because before we collapse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. So quickly, um, thank you for anyone uh, in the last sort of few weeks or any time that's left us an iTunes reviews. We've got some really good reviews out there. So again, as we always say, if you've got a spare couple of minutes and able to, if you can do us a, a five-star review wink wink um that would be greatly appreciated it gets uh sort of the word out there and things like that and and any mm-hmm. and, you know thanks to anyone that shares anything we do any retweets or you know shares us our links and things like that mm-hmm. you know people mention us on reddit which is always really cool so you know it's all much appreciated um talking of community sort of stuff as always plug in the discord server that we've got uh the link will be in the show notes uh, we're getting still more and more people are joining we've got a great community there so you know, feel free to join it, and so we can have some really cool chats on there. Um, yeah, you can find uh, the website, the website, the podcast on uh, Twitter at Realm and Ruin. You can find mm-hmm. it on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash Realm and Ruin, and of course, you can find our website, which is www.realmandruin.com. And if you have anything you want to suggest for any future shows, anything like that, any topics you want us to cover, said contact us on any of those things. Um, and lastly, uh, where can people find you on the internet, Cameron? You can find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten. That's night without a K. Uh, yeah, come, come hang out. It's a cool place. Twitter, uh, if you stay away from the babbits, which yes. I think I've managed to do. Um, <laughs> good motto for life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about you? Where can, where can the good folk of the mortal realms find you online? 
they can find me also on that twitter.com you can find me at ninja badger seven uh so yeah this has been episode number 10 uh in all its glory it's been a long one (laughs) but it's been well worth it um so again as always thank you so much for any support that you give us it's always much appreciated and we'll catch you on the next show bye yeah bye bye